We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I am your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is John K. Euler, LPC, which is Licensed Professional Counselor. He's also a certified clinical trauma professional and a certified sex offender treatment provider. He's worked for many, many years with the most sociopathic members of society in prisons, and he runs groups with sex offenders, and he also runs groups with the victims of sex offenders. He has a wealth of insight into the deviant mind, and in this conversation, we cover that and how it intersects with the sexual revolution or the gender revolution that's happening right now and ways in which people can recognize when they're being manipulated and what society is supposed to do with abusers and what society is doing currently to promote, platform, and enable abusers. Without further ado, here is John Euler. Hello. Benjamin. You know, I can't call you a doc. I want to give you a title, but LPC, the, like it doesn't translate into like a... No, you can just call me John. Okay, John. <laughs> no, I appreciate it very much. Yeah. Well, I mean, so. you kind of earned something, but maybe you don't yeah. want to be reminded of it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Every Whatever time somebody mentions you. <laughs> kind of a little... That's right. I've got all sorts of things people call me, so... <laughs> It's a pleasure to um, connect. I've watched uh, quite a few of your videos over the years. Oh, really? Um, I was going through your catalog. catalog. You, you gave me a couple of links, and I, I had one idea of you. Like, oh, this guy's on the ball. But then I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's not just on the ball, but he's in the he's in the the shit, right? You you really um, invested yourself in some really intense things and not uh, not by choice or no? I, not anticipating it not you know obviously it's a choice but not intentionally yeah 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 so yeah i'm a, I'm a therapist by trade and then uh, was kind of brought into i didn't even know about the trans movement but my um so i i've got really a strange background but it's perfect for i guess what i do which is half therapy and then half dealing with perpetrators so because of that perspective i'm able to uh, when i work with the perpetrators i'm able to ferret out whether they're lying through their teeth as to whether or not they've ever been injured but then also had a chance to go deep into what i would say the criminal mind so i used my position on psych, uh, psych staff uh, when i uh, i was in a seminar in the audience a webinar with bessel van der Kolk, it was interesting when he said uh, yeah, he wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Hmm. And he said he, he used his time or his position there as a means of doing research. And I can relate. So that's how I speak to the criminal mind and psychopathy and sociopathy and all that. Um, because, you know, it's an outside re academic researcher's dream. It was a 11 year field research for me. Oh, yeah. Or a field yeah, study. Yeah. 
So I use that intensively and then have worked with survivors and then kids in the system. So in dealing with what I call the trans deception, um, that's why I find myself continued to be pulled back into that because I know it's a, what I call the world's greatest sham. Hmm. It's all fabricated. And it's, it's got very, um, intense outcomes for those who submit their bodies to the process yeah. of transition. And so I really appreciate you having all the uh, survivors on your show because exactly, but that's, uh, that's sadly the predictable outcome of manipulating cats. Hmm. So this entire movement never, it never existed. And so I guess, you know, I've just, uh, it just uh, crossed a marker for me. I just turned 60. I don't feel it. I feel 25. Or, and so I guess now I'm using that to my advantage. First of all, I say, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> but I guess it's given me some perspective. I never thought I'd say that. But I can. that's how I can tell people definitively, this is all man-made. It's all contrived. Because my background was dealing with the most severe cases in residential treatment. So if you want to find out anything that's true, work in foster care. Hmm. And then group homes and residential treatment. I also have my own adolescent female, 12 bed adolescent female intensive uh, treatment group home. So if you're going to ever find out anything true about kids and true about yourself, because <laughs> they'll tell you. Um, so if you want to find out about youth culture, you work with kids, step up or step down from a psych hospital. You're, you're in the midst of it. So self-injurious behavior is you're seeing all of it. Yeah. So what the trans deception is the premise is that those of us up until quite frankly got underway with the uh, maybe 2009 but if it weren't for the dsm-5 and so uh, i have a bone to pick with certain individuals in my field and i've made a public sort of you know online before i got kicked off of twitter now the second time but i'm permanently suspended um Wait, just recently yeah. Oh, okay. I, not that I cared how many followers, but it was yeah. I was able then to kind of get a message out. And I think there's a little troll still in Twitter. Elon hasn't obviously been able to root the novel out. Hmm. Yeah, what I was speaking to the issue of men in drag that want to be around kids, because I, I don't address what adults do. I may have my own opinion, but I've never uh, I don't touch on that. Hmm. So what I say is, if you're a deviant adult and you give clear evidence that you access porn on a regular basis, stay away from kids. And some of the legitimate uh, drag queens, uh, or I'll still use the term trans, but there, there's no such thing as trans, by the way. Hmm. Um, they will be the first to say, stay away from kids. So if you, if, especially as a male, if you give evidence of accessing pornography then you don't belong around kids around minors simple as that and any reasonable adult would agree with that but when you start to get push get pushback the question is why am i receiving pushback as a matter of fact furries are the worst <laughs> the first time mm -hmm. i had heard about furries and they hate this <laughs> i never heard about furries until hearing it, my introduction to the, the topic of furries was through a really heinous pedophile in sex offender treatment. 
and then doing his parole psych eval, so sex offender risk assessment, then parole psych eval in Pennsylvania. So I spent 11 years in the Department of Corrections in Pennsylvania, the psych staff. And so this guy was, um, I wasn't able in his case to prevent him from getting out. I've been able to, I was able to stop about 19 guys from getting out because the psych staff really holds the key to guys getting, those that are sex offenders. Yeah. And um, he was going to be able to get out. And so I was able to ask him. So he felt very emboldened. And so I was able to feed his ego and, and just ask, ask, how, how do certain guys get away with it? And he says, oh, there's a number of ways. So I was, I was pumping him for information in a, the right way. It would take that kind of context to finally get truth out of these guys. And he says, well, uh, you know, we use a number of ways, furries. And I'm staring at him. He says, well, furries. I'm staring at him like, what? He says, you don't know about furries. And I said, I don't know. He says, oh, you need to get out more. I said, well, that's probably true. But what? <laughs> he says, well, you know, the costumes. I said, what? He said, he said, it's like Disneyland, but we all have these suits and we get together. I said, a bunch of adults get together in suits. He says, oh, yeah. He says, but they target kids, meaning they draw kids in. He says, we have 100% of our identity covered. And he says, it's amazing how if you dress up, parents will hand their kids over to you. Wow. So when he was busted, it was through a sting. He thought he was communicating with a mother. It was actually a police officer. Yeah. And the arrangement was he was going to spend the evening with a a four-year-old and a six-year-old. So as he pulls up to the motel, he's assuming he's going to meet the mother and so the police find all sorts of things in his trunk, including handcuffs and dog leashes and collars. Yeah. That should ring a bell for us. Pet called play. play. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So if I hadn't worked in prison with perpetrators and also full range of offenders in the way that I did, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't have enough knowledge. I didn't know the half of it. But I figured because I had a unique opportunity, meaning I could either go into solitary, deal with guys in long-term solitary. I had a set of keys. So on psychology staff, you have access to everything except ammunition. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no outside researcher is ever going to be able to do that. It's a lengthy process. If you're an academic researcher to have a few hours with a guy. That's why James Dobson only had three hours with Bundy. It's a very lengthy process, and all the inmates know that they are being listened to. There's no confidentiality in prison. So if you're there, the only time there is is with an attorney. That's the only time they'll be, and they'll use certain rooms. But for the interviews with the inmates, there isn't that confidentiality. So all the inmates know they're being listened to. Plus, if they're being interviewed, their information is going to get out there. Uh, there's either officers in the room or speaker assistants. And so most researchers assume that what they're getting in terms of face value information is accurate. They don't know that, especially when it comes to sex offenders, the sex offenders are using that interview to practice for parole. Okay. Yeah. 
to see how much is being bought, as it were. Now, it doesn't mean that there can't be information that's derived, but you're not going to receive real definitive information, the stuff that I think is most useful, unless you, unless you spend time behind bars with these guys. And so I, I do sex offender treatment right now. I'm just, I'm starting my third group. So I've got about 50 guys. That's why I'm having to start a third group. Um, and there's no way. So now I've dealt with predators in prison for 11 years. Now I've dealt with them going on two years now as a sex offender treatment provider. And I knew it was true, but now I really know it's true that there is no way that a researcher that is interviewing someone that claims to be either is a perpetrator or claims to be minor attracted. You are not getting information. Your sole source of information is from self-reports from the world's greatest liars that always have an agenda and are not sorry. And so if someone says the science is settled, says here's definitive information. The only thing that science can settle about perpetrators is their brain is different. A static moment in time, the rest is conjecture. And then I ask anyone, how much time have you spent? And in what way? What's your methodology? And if all you've had is a an office setting you you have inadequate methodology so i'm very passionate about people understanding the criminal mind because the worst criminal mind are those that want to defile kids that's what deviance is and so that brings us that brings us kind of to our topic what we're going to be talking about but also for me my passion really alerting the public to this grand scam, this scheme called the trans movement, that from my perspective and from my experience and professional background, I can see it's the perfect opportunity for financial and sexual predators to gain direct access to the private spaces. That's what they want. Private spaces of women and children so they can have access to the private parts for profit or prey. Because if a kid gets on that moving sidewalk, as you know, the end of the line for the trans deception is a surgeon's gurney. And that child will be forever sterilized and amputated. And since when have we ever felt that was beneficial? Everything has been rebranded and reframed, much like cults do actually exactly how cults do. And so we're taking these kids that the vast majority of them, saw a pretty good study, about 85%, I would concur, have been sexually abused, those in the trans movement, which means that amount of kids, plus more typically, have a very difficult time with their intuition. Their intuition is that which allows someone to protect themselves, their own boundaries, and have manipulator predator perpetrator is going to have to cross boundaries we call that grooming all grooming simply means is i'm working you so i can be a financial predator working on a car lot and i'm working you i'm going to upsell you you didn't intend to take out your wallet and give me as much as you're going to but 
because I don't want to go to prison quickly, I'm not going to point a gun at you, but I'm going to persuade you to give me which uh, that which you shouldn't because you can't afford it. Yeah. So why am I doing that? I don't care about you. I've objectified you. Instead of loving people and using things, as somebody gets into, um, moves through the stages of selfishness, which I consider narcissism, then sociopathy, and then psychopathy. And th- those aren't they, those aren't hardwired. That, that's a you're saying that's a slope, right? Uh, again, the best science can do when it comes to sociopathy and psychopathy, and again, it, it, it's these are great terms. They sound really cool. In my estimation, they're about 3,000 years old, or the, the terms are new. The condition is, it's been around since Cain and Abel. And the question is, how does somebody become that way? And so the best we have are static pictures in a moment of time, and then the rest is conjecture. We have a 30-year-old that we can see definitively that the brain of a psychopath is very different. That is very true. They don't have conscience, therefore they have no remorse and no empathy. And for me, it all comes down to conscience, meaning how I understand these guys. And the question is, is someone born without a conscience? I don't believe so. It's a willful transgression and overriding of conscience. You create a callus, it's cauterizing one's conscience. And to the extent that you want to override or give yourself permission to allow your selfishness to grow, your conscience will begin to become less and less effective. And eventually you can get to a point where you have no conscience. You've overridden your conscience and therefore you will never be sorry and you don't care about the impact. So that's psychopathy. But my, my premise, I'll eventually publish. I just haven't had the time yet, but my premise is there's stages. It's best viewed on a scale of one to 10 in terms of selfishness. That's really all we're talking about. It's human nature. And to the extent that I care more about me than you, I will begin to view you as a means to an end, means to my own happiness, means to my own profit, you know, what, what it means to my career advancement. Robert Hare, who's uh, the father of the, uh, uh, what they call the father of psychopathy. So he created the PCLR, the Hare Psychopathy Checklist. And he said, if he hadn't worked, if he hadn't studied um, psychopaths in prison, which he actually never worked in prison, but he he selected those inmates that were clearly psychopathic. If you're gonna if you're gonna hide a pitchfork under a haystack for your younger brother to jump into the hay to be impaled, you're probably clearly psychopathic. That was one of the examples that he gave. One of the kinds of inmates. Well, that's also where he came up with the different criteria. Because you have two kinds of inmates, you have, a, I'm sorry, two kinds of psychopaths. You have bloody psychopath and white collar psychopath. But in the PCLR, it's very interesting. It's geared more to an antisocial, and I'll actually reference one of those, so a more impulsive kind of psychopath. But Robert Hare has written a book called Snakes in Suits. And he said if he hadn't studied psychopaths in prison, he would have, sorry, <clears throat> he would have studied them on Wall Street. Well, that shows you that they're not all impulsive. They're not all antisocial. The best psychopaths, the smartest ones, end up in politics, in sales, 
in finance, in psychology, in law enforcement, in education. They're everywhere. They look so normal. James Fallon has been able to do a lot of talk show circuits and other things because he inadvertently scanned his own brain or he scanned his brain to participate in an Alzheimer's study. Yet his lab or his, uh, his facility was also being used to scan for forensic purposes, the brains of psychopaths. So he had two different um, studies as it were going on. And he was looking through the scans of the Alzheimer's patients and the names were covered, were covered up. And he sees one scan and it's in the wrong pile. So he assumes, he said, why is a psychopath's brain in my, <laughs> so he, he straightens out his piles. He looks at the name and it's him. Oh no. It was pretty fascinating. Yeah. So did he have remorse funny. about that? I'm sorry. Did he have remorse about being a psychopath? Uh, no, it's very, very interesting. I've talked about it on my show. I have a, a live program, uh, which is neat because I get to cover just counseling topics yeah. um, on Friday night um, on TECN, uh, TECN.TV. There we go. Um, we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. But it's funny to listen to him. And what I try to help people think in terms of to get the... Um, sort of the awe factor out of the way, because it, it's clear he has a psychopathic brain. I mean, you, you can't fake it because it deals with, when they're assessing psychopathy, it's not IQ, it's not gray matter, it's not white, ma white matter, it's function, it's, it's blood flow, it's activity within the brain. Okay. And so it's like, very like the pro What processes are, are prioritized or? As far as heat. So what, what portions of the brain are active? And what you find is for a non-psychopath, so for a normal person, we have a conscience and therefore empathy and remorse, but we have feelings. We don't want to see somebody in pain. So there will be a lot of activity in the frontal and in the side or parietal area, the temporal lobes. So you'll see a lot of, a lot of activity in the frontal and temporal area of the brain when we encounter something that pulls our emotions in terms of empathy or sympathy, if we see somebody hurt, if we see somebody that is being treated unjustly, there won't be a lot of activity in the occipital region of the brain. That's where the analysis takes place. So somebody whose feelings are, who has normal feelings, yeah. they don't have to think about their response. It just is. But somebody who's over in their conscience, therefore, has no empathy, you won't see a lot of activity. So when you see the brain scans of a psychopath, anybody can go online and just do a search, brain scans of a psychopath. And a lot of the scans on there are James Fallon's. But you'll see in the frontal area for a psychopath, there's not a lot of activity. It's dark for the, for the particular pictures they show of their brain scans during that moment so the brain scans the pictures that'll come up 
are of moments where somebody's brain, if they were normal, there should be a lot of activity in the frontal area because they're showing them uh, scenes and pictures that would evoke, because when they're in the scan, they're in the tube, they're seeing, they've got a little TV screen. So they're showing them different pictures, such as a, a kid that's been hit by a car, an animal that was wounded, a child that got his hand slammed in a door. But things that would evoke for anybody um, just a lot of emotion, including happy things. Yeah. But for the psychopath, so again, normal person, a lot of activity in the frontal area of the brain, very little in the back. It doesn't take a lot of analysis. It's very automatic. For those of us that are normal, we feel things deeply. For the psychopath, not a lot of activity up front, a lot of activity in the back. They don't feel it. And what they're doing is they are analyzing what response people want them to give. Yeah. That's going to be in their best interest, most advantageous. So they are doing impression management. They're working the crowd all the time. Purely for selfish reasons. They're Correct. Okay. It, That's so, who they are. They're pure okay. self. Now. Yeah. And so the one thing about a predator that those of us that aren't don't understand is a predator is always, always, always on the prowl. And they can't stop. As a matter of fact, 3,000 years ago, the book of Proverbs, read Proverbs chapter 6, and you will see it talks about they're always restless. Now, it doesn't use the term psychopath. It talks about the wicked. Okay. Oh. But you can enter a, a, a realm huh. as you're going downhill. That's the best way to view it. As, the best way to view all this is a slippery slope. So you get far enough off the straight and narrow. And there are very real changes that will take place. Your ego will start to grow. Selfishness grows like a snowball. And as it transitions through various stages, there will be a decreasing corresponding effect with certain things. As ego grows, conscience starts to decrease because ego wants what it wants. Yeah. And because of that, uh, you will care less about people. You want more uh, you're now objectifying instead of loving people and using things. Now you are loving things and using people. Yeah. And then you're into self gratification, but the smarter you are, the less impulsive you're going to be. Yeah. And the smarter you are and the more psychopathic you become, you will look more normal. You'll we fit in better. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so that's why I'm much more eligible to go into politics or be in positions of influence because uh, i know manipulation. how to work the crowd yeah. the greatest uh, the most classic psychopath and james fallon references this um is bill clinton bill clinton and hillary clinton this is not a political political statement they are the consummate politicians yeah if i can work the crowd if I, and here it is if i can turn it on and turn it off as it suits me you watch Bill Clinton in the famous uh, video clip. Uh, he and Tony Campolo are walking out of the church from the funeral of Ron Brown, who was Secretary of Commerce, who died, in my estimation, under interesting uh, conditions. There was a plane crash, supposedly because of fog, but when they did the research, uh, there was no fog. This was over in Europe. Well, there, so they attend this funeral Bill Clinton does. Well, he has the quote unquote evangelical representative 
walking next to him. So it's a photo op. And as they're walking, they're a little ways away, but the cameras are zoomed in on him. Bill Clinton is on the left. Tony Campolo is on the right. Tony Campolo is actually involved in the conversation. Bill Clinton, of course, is not. Tony Campolo thinks he is. So they've just been uh, laughing about a joke, which is telling. Bill Clinton looks to his left. That's where all the cameras are in the distance. And it's, it's amazing to watch this. As a matter of fact, in my next podcast, Analyzing the Brain, we're looking at Sam Britton, the deviant that just kept sealing women's luggage, which is very dangerous, yeah. actually. But I will show the, I show the clip. So Bill Clinton, um, Tony Campolo, they walk out of the funeral. Bill Clinton looks to the left. He's laughing because they're yucking it up. He sees a camera and split second, we have a sad pouty face and he fakes a tear. Tony Campolo doesn't know that Bill Clinton is on it's cue changed, in front yeah. of the camera. And he's confused, Tony Campolo is. So there's a classic example of someone that is pure self. Okay. We would call it pragmatic. Well, pragmatic minus conscience or what, what you're calling conscious. There so you go. Without, so the, more um, pragmatic you, the more pragmatic you are, typically the less conscience you're going to have. Okay. But in my estimation. I, I have a lot of questions. One question is, um, psychopathy doesn't necessarily, uh, how does it match up with sadism? Because if you don't, if you don't feel what other people feel, why would you get off on causing people pain? And maybe, uh, maybe that's just a popular imagination that we've married those two. Maybe they're not related. Maybe sadists and psychopaths. No, they they are related. And so it's a misnomer to say that psychopaths don't feel. They feel very much. It's all self. They feel happiness whenever they get what they want. They will be happy. Okay. The further someone goes into self, it's not just an intellectual kind of thing. It involves the complete person. So you don't become just a little bit psychopathic. And a lot of things are changing. So not just your intellect. Well, I, now IQ, that's a little bit different. But your character is changing the drives and appetites change. And the one thing that's different about a psychopath from a sociopath, and again, in my estimation, the best way to view this is, as selfishness increases, there's a lot of changes that take place. I start to harden my heart. I become indifferent. That's just one aspect. But then I start to lose interest in ever being the way I used to be when I was good, when I understood and appreciated and valued the difference between right and wrong, good and bad. Those of us with a conscience, we not only can't imagine what it's like not to have a conscience, but we have an aversion to that. Like, well, who would want to do that? For those that have achieved the state of having no conscience, it's actually very freeing. And so in the stages downward into psychopathy, it really moves from someone that values a conscience and wants a conscience and doesn't want to transgress their conscience and therefore they want to keep their conscience sensitive therefore they will respond very quickly i feel badly so i'm going to go apologize or i feel badly even if no one knows 
So someone with a healthy conscience will do the right thing. They will govern themselves. You keep trans, uh, transgressing that. You create a callous effect. You cauterize your conscience. Little by little, it transitions from, well, I, I want my conscience sensitive to, well, you know, I just don't want it to bother me. I've already moved a couple stages now to, well, you know, this stupid conscience is bugging me. I, you know, I just I have to tune it out. Now I'm actively overriding my conscience. I'm in the beginning stages of that. The next stage is starting to be relieved that it's not bothering me anymore or as much my conscience Yeah. to getting to a point that I'm actually very relieved that I'm not bothered to getting to a point where I'm not bothered and I realize it and I'm pretty pleased with myself to now. And this, and now these are the, this is really transitioning in my estimation from sociopathy to psychopathy. That would be bad enough. Somebody reaches a point where they just aren't bothered, but now growing within them, and this will speak to your point, growing within them is also a hunger and thirst to have an effect. Or have That's a connection, the, like have a connection. Or no, I'm effect. sorry. To have a lasting detrimental effect on someone, to prove a point, to have, and here's really a good description of a psychopath in my estimation. They are driven to have the last word, last say, and last laugh. Hmm. The one thing a psychopath will never say, or a psychopath will say that a sociopath will never say, and again, uh, in my estimation, the best way to view it is selfishness grows if left unchecked. That's narcissism or ego. Ego and selfishness, same thing. Yeah. As ego grows, it will, and therefore I become the center of the universe and I believe I'm entitled to whatever I want as it grows. Think about a two-year-old in a sandbox. He's got his own toys, but he looks at Susie's toys. <laughs> That's human nature. So a parent has come along and say, no, 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 no. So we have to inform the conscience at age two or whatever that, no, Johnny, you have your own toys. So we're teaching private property. We're teaching respect of others. But mom has just corrected Johnny. Mom walks away and what does Johnny <laughs> depends upon how willful Johnny is. Yeah. Mom had, turns your back and he's going to sneak and she's starting to cry and he'll come up with a lie. And so that's older brother or younger brother might tweak older brother, older brother, you know, reacts and then older brother gets in trouble and, you know, younger brother snickering. Yeah. So self is growing. That's narcissism. If you're simple, meaning if you need attention, overt attention, you'll see that that person has a mirror. So he looks at himself in the mirror. He, he's very much, he wants accolades. Those yeah. are simplistic narcissists. Those aren't going to get very far. Because they uh, soak up all the attention in the room and exhaust everybody. That's right. People catch on right away. Yeah. So they have a short, uh, a short, short shelf life, life in yeah. my estimation. People know what they're about. So they're going to limit their opportunities. But if they're smart, Again, they're just as ego-driven, but they learn more how to perfect the art of impression management into sales. And now you're operating on the cost-benefit analysis. How much effort versus how much are you getting? Yeah. 
now you're a sociopath. So we say that sociopaths and narcissists, they have low self-esteem. No, they don't. Now, whacked out self-esteem, not healthy self-esteem, but there's nothing. Uh, you look at every politician. To be a good politician, you have to have healthy self-esteem. You'll get up in front of the camera and you'll say, yeah. I did not have sex with that one. As a matter of fact, this is a right-wing conspiracy, and I'm not going to tolerate being distracted anymore. The American people, they voted me in to do a job, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be distracted by these pesky little questions about DNA on a blue dress. Yeah, That takes chutzpah. To look at the camera, you keep going in that stage, and eventually there's You end a up on an island somewhere with a young exactly. girl in your life? <laughs> Right. Yeah, um, that's exactly it. So it's it's no longer then just about what you can get, but now the kind of effect. Yeah. And is, transitioning is, from sociopathy to psychopathy. And it, now you're going to get off on uh, you know, power control is in there, but then you're going to move beyond being motivated just by power and control. Okay. Now you really want to mar and scar the soul. And, and that's where the psychopath becomes malevolent and sadistic. Is it is it is it like a longing for connection? Is, no. it, is it is that's a misnomer? Because, that's a misnomer. So Not it's it, it's it's a bad metaphor to think that somebody's disconnected themselves so much that the only way that they can be reconnected to other people is through pain or inflicting. That that's in my mind, in my estimation, Benjamin. I totally understand right because. The, the, the view of and treatment of predators has now fallen under, and in my estimation, because we have believed urban myths, urban legends, we have now subsumed the, the treatment of those that offend have been subsumed under the rubric or umbrella of trauma therapy. Okay, yeah. That's dangerous, and we have to separate those out, because not only does that misplaced sympathies it shifts sympathies away from the survivors onto the perpetrators but it's not true so only damaged people damage people okay there you go that's the lie it's okay. it's not true right um, and I, the first time i heard that was when i was working with the guys in prison it was now mind you i'm doing sex offender treatment my whole background was working with survivors and people wounded by the kinds of men i'm working with yeah so i know the damage they do and the first time he says, well, so as I'm uh, trying to give them an opportunity to come clean and kind of tell me whatever they're going to tell me, it became clear that the vast majority of these guys have no remorse. And now they're just trying to fake it to make it to get through sex offender treatment. So I would say, so why do you think you did what you did? Well, you know, had a pretty rough background, did you? Yeah, went through a lot of abuse. Well, first of all, I have access to all the paperwork, all the background, all the files. No outside researcher has that, by the way. Hmm. So I know there's no verifiable or corroborating information for what he's telling me. When this guy got busted, did he turn himself in because he felt so badly about what he was doing? All the guys in sex offender treatment, I've never dealt with one that turned himself in. I've been doing this for 14 years. Hundreds, hundreds hmm. of men. Not one turned himself in. Why? Because they weren't sorry. 
They didn't want to stop. I don't care what you say. If you want to stop, you can take actions. You'll either kill yourself or you turn yourself in. So you have men that weren't sorry, are not repentant. It's not hitting bottom for them. It's that they've been sidelined. It's called law enforcement. Yeah. <laughs> Present. Yeah. To sideline them. So they're simply behind bars, and we think, we project onto them what we would think. Oh, if I went to prison, that would be the worst thing in the world. Predators know us better than we know them. And they know, because they once had a conscience, in my estimation, they know what it's like to have a conscience. They have no conscience any longer, so they can use our own conscience and ethics against us. So they will work us. And one of the things that they discovered that we have bought has been floated in the literature so much that everybody believes it now is that a child perpetrator is reenacting his own abuse yeah having found the age and stage of the child that he himself was perped on i believed that it's not true whatsoever it's a lie hmm. it's an urban myth because genuine survivors do not become exploited and predatorial they become protective they are the helicopter parents. Well, how did we come to believe this? Well, you had an academic researcher or two or three. I'm not going to necessarily fault them, but a naive one that goes where to interview predators just on the street. Nobody's going to volunteer that, hey, I'm a predator. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer your questions. So you're going to look for men that are justice involved, either in prison or on parole. And the question is, are you going to get accurate information from them? And can you corroborate what they're saying? They're working you. Why? Because they are psychopathic and they therefore are all about impression management. It's all secondary gains. A guy on parole is only interested in one thing, getting off of parole wanting you to believe and he's interested if you're a researcher he's interested in what you're going to write why because he's going to benefit so he's going to craft things he's going to craft a narrative for you where you're going to take and you're going to say we now have definitive finding research is found and that research finding those research findings are then going to influence public policy going to influence legislation and sentencing structures and therefore if i'm a perp and you're interviewing me I'm going to fill your head with all sorts of stuff where you're going to think that I'm a really nice guy. I just blew it, had a mistake, or I've always been attracted to kids. I was abused. And it's all a lie. Yeah. And you're going to take believing that I've told you the truth. Why? Because I can stare at you in the eye. And I look so sad. I can even have tears come to my eyes. And I can tell you that I didn't intend to, but I fell off the wagon and I was depressed and I was lonely and you know, my wife and I were having trouble and I've just never had an ability or the opportunity to really connect. And somehow this eight-year-old, you know what, I just lost my senses and we had a heart-to-heart -heart connection and we were really bonding. And before I knew it, I just crossed lines, but I know she was in love with me and I was in love with her and I have a young spirit and she's much more mature for her age. And she was just really taking care of me. And love has no age or boundaries or stage. And love is love. And, and so we really connected. And I just, I don't know what happened. I was drinking a little bit. And I yeah. think because I have self-esteem issues and I've always had low self-esteem issues. And I'm lying to you, by the way. Everything I said, the average person would believe. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, that, that's that's my other question, or one of my other questions is that when we talk about normal people and we look at how, especially in the internet age, how our empathy is being hijacked and our care is being hijacked for, you know, to, to cause political effect. So there's got to be a balance between conscience and not necessarily psychopathy, but, but we lose connection to analyzing the way that we're being played a lot and we get in these feedback loops and stuff. So a little bit of callousness when we're presented with media or with uh, certain signals on the internet is actually important for us to make informed decisions. So there's, there's a balance there that we're constantly needing to navigate. That's right. It's really called discernment. Yeah. We, uh, a manipulator, uh, a predator, perpetrator, psychopath, it's all in continuum. Again, they know us better than we know them. And so they're always working people. And they will use our ethics against us. So normal people want to give one another the benefit of the doubt. That's social contract. Okay, if I'm a perpetrator, that's all I need. All I need is for you to give me the benefit of the doubt. Therefore, you are not reading me properly. You're giving me a long leash. If you believe that I actually believe what I'm telling you, therefore, I'm sincere. Now I'm working you. So therefore, I can go online on a dating app or I can be hired on at a church and hold up a Bible and say, my Bible says I am what I am and I believe what I'm, and all of you thousands out there stand up so you can dig deep because we're gonna plant seeds of faith. Second Peter chapter two, written 2000 years ago, gives a description of a psychopath. It's very interesting. Hmm. And what it says in that context is, it's not flattering, Peter, everybody's familiar with Peter, he wrote that, uh, he has a criticism, which is basically, how can you be so naive? You have people right in your midst that are working you, helping themselves to the cash and the women in your congregation, and you don't even have clue one. That is not spiritual. We're called to have discernment. We're not called to be jaded. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we're called to be judgmental and not just turn the other cheek indefinitely. Right. That's right. And actually, the context for turning the other cheek has to do with being insulted. So we are to have a long fuse. But yeah. if when we somebody's coming after point, your ego, control your ego. But when somebody's okay, coming after the moral fabric there of you society, go. you protect the moral fabric of society. There you go. But in, in Matthew 7, it's also very interesting. That's where Jesus said, listen, don't don't judge. So he's checking out motives. But he also says, do not cast your pearls before swine. On my program, I go in depth a lot about that. What are your pearls? Your time, effort, energy, resources. And he says this, and he's speaking to a Jewish audience. You want to, you know, you want to uh, get a reaction 
serve bacon and eggs to a, to a Jewish audience, <laughs> you know, ham and eggs. Okay, so okay. Jesus is talking to a kosher crowd, and he says, "Do not cast your pearls before pigs." Well, that's a very that's going to jog them viscerally. Mm-hmm. So he's saying some of you are dealing with unbe- uh, things that you are unbelievably not. You know, it's unbelievable that you would be dealing with this kind of person. Why? Yet you're surprised that you have issues. So Jesus was all about boundaries. Yeah, he said, "Thou shalt not do what." cast your pearls before swine. So that means we have pigs around us. Yeah. And I had better discern because the pigs are going to do what? They want my pearls. And so if I can't discern a pig, I can't have healthy boundaries. But the pigs are all about ensuring that I never catch on. So they're going to work my intuition. So the two mechanisms within us to maintain boundaries, our conscience and intuition Two sides of the same coin. And, a, and, and what does diversity, equity, and inclusion, when you push that on an entire society, inclusiveness, equity, oh, yeah. fairness, uh, diversity, it's that erodes policy. it erodes boundaries, though. Absolutely. It, it, it's Absolutely. all about redistribution of not just wealth, but power, attention. Yeah. And that's go. perfect for psychopaths. There, there you go. Right? Because... If I start, my goal is this. I want what you have. I want you. I want, meaning because I've objectified you. I can financially objectify you. I can sexually objectify you. Yeah. Meaning you're a means to an end to me. So well, I morally no objectify have, in the terms of like, in, in, in the virtue signal culture. You're morally objectifying people. Like your morality is, is a means to my glory. That, that's right. But I'm really just manipulating you. I'm manipulating your feelings ultimately to get you to turn your volume down to override your intuition. Yeah. So it's really the best way to understand all of this is the methods and techniques of cults. That's why you've done such a great job. You look at all the detransitioners. What's so tragic about the detransitioners is they are awakening out of the cult like stupor of having been worked and manipulated but it's not bad enough like it used to be in the 70s when the heyday of cults i was out in southern california at the time harry krishna they they would be out at the airports dancing and collecting money or you know and then you'd find that they would go find their uh, initiates okay they're initiating people they go to ivy league schools they bright you know uc berkeley so they're manipulating all the people into these cults. Well, you watch somebody that comes out of a cult and they will have to go through certain stages of reconciling. How were they so badly manipulated? Yeah. That's bad enough. They can spend years. As a matter of fact, really, if you think of really whacked out families, dysfunctional families, and this is what I do in the other half of my life, regular kind of counseling. Why do people continue to interact with family? Think about the holidays. Why do people interact with family members that are not healthy for them, that are driving them crazy? We call it love-hate relationships. Why do they do that? We call it trauma bonding. None of that is really true. What they're doing is this. They're trying to ignore reality because they want to believe. So they stay in a detrimental situation. And when somebody finally comes to the realization, whether with family or in other situations where it's like, wait a second. Suddenly, the light goes on, 
And you don't have to really help them with boundaries, a few little finessing things. But once their core is back, once they have their intuition back, it doesn't matter the degree of manipulation uh, or how how mm. adept or astute the manipulator is. You, you're not going to fool them anymore. That's why it's like now it's not intellectual. They have a core. They've been able to get their intuition back. Yeah. But can you imagine awakening from that? So you're having to go through that same processing of how did I get so manipulated? And on top of it now, you're missing body parts. And you're because, hooked up to the medical industry forever. Right? Because Talk about using and abusing someone. That's why these poor transitioners, they, they need to get into therapy. And the one thing they need more than anything in that therapy is because they'll go through very predictable stages. Ultimately, they need to understand that they are angry and they are good and angry and they have every right because they were manipulated. And the one thing with the detransitioners, the ones that you've interviewed and the ones that put their own stories online, I've listened to many, many. And you can actually see the various stages as they are awakening um, to the reality. And one of the first stages they will go through because they're so used to the idea of virtue sing signaling and they don't want to don't be judgmental. How did they come to conclude that? Because they've been worked. They've been manipulated by cult leaders to not be judgmental, otherwise known as don't have intuition, don't have discernment. Don't say there's right and wrong. Don't say there's good and bad. Don't say there's real. Yeah. And so as they are starting to come out of the cult-like influence, it's starting to wear off they will eventually they'll initially go through that stage with well i'm not telling anybody else what's right or wrong but but for me i found this isn't the right thing so they're just they don't want to tell people i've finally seen what happened to me and then they'll go through the stage of well no no i'm accepting responsibility why because they are being bombarded by the uh, predator apologists the little um, the brigades yeah the, fire ants, the hornets, the, the, the barracuda and the piranhas, right, of the cult. About 80% in the cult are the very reactive ones that are being used by the 20% and manipulated. And the 20% will point and say, go get Euler off of Twitter. And off go the hordes. And they're, yeah. they're, they, they bombard Twitter and licensing agencies and, and employers. Those are the ones that will do uh, swarms. And if you've ever been on the, you've been on the, you have to have been on the end of it, right? If anybody's been on the receiving end of these swarms, it's on, they're just, they're, they're killer bees. They just swarm super fast. They're reactive and you can't swat them away as fast. Yeah. So it, it causes those of us that have worked in this realm as far as, far as uh, helping people deprogram and, and come to terms with that this this entire movement is predatorial that we start to learn how these perp apologists work so that we can um, put them in their place basically and, and silence them and so these kids these young people and you can tell it's usually going to be somewhere starting about the age of 25 what i've seen uh, so they've finally gotten out of high school they've gotten out of the college age years and now they're starting to have to earn a living and they find out how the real world works. And behind the scenes, of course, 
um, the perps and the predators in this entire movement. It's working with corporate, you know, they're very smart. It's a tremendous game plan. So they're still trying to, uh, this entire cult-like movement that's driven by special interests are still trying to keep this thing alive once somebody gets out of that cult-like culture into corporate America. So that's where we start to see the commercials. We start to see corporate policies because without those, this thing would die off. Hmm. And then also without pornography. Without pornography and its influence and those pushing it, you'd never have the trans movement. Really? That's why it's all groomed. When you hear these kids say, I discovered I was bisexual at age 10. Very interesting. I put together a composite in the video, uh, Understanding the Trans Movement. It really is a, a compilation of all the different, or a lot of detransitioners telling their story, and I couldn't believe it, and, and on Tumblr. So they reference these different things, and I put them together, and you hear them time and time again say, I learned I was bisexual by age 10, 11, 12. Well, those of us really should be anybody, but anybody that's a mandated reporter, that should be a red flag. Because left to themselves, unhindered and uninfluenced, prior to the age of puberty, a child will not have a sexual thought. Yeah. Because hormones haven't kicked in. Yeah. So if you have a kid, now a teenager or a young adult, say, I learned I was not just I learned I was sexual, I learned I was bisexual. By age 10, I know definitively two things have happened. The kid was perped on and perped on by somebody, same sex. And before that, their boundaries were probably crossed and pornography was involved. But because it was done in, in such a way, and that's why the sex ed stuff is so damaging that's in school, what I call the trans deception sex ed, it's all deviant. And that's why I'm part of now what's called SOGI International Task Force. It's a great, uh, I'm sort of the lead, well, I am, I'm the lead clinical professional. It's going to become quickly in my estimation, the number one site that parents can go to, to gain an understanding and then practical tools, how to take back their schools and how to, how to push back against those that are going after their kids. You can find that online at soji123taskforce.com. And it truly is worldwide. We now have a tremendous um, woman who's a, a psychiatric registered nurse. She's our point person for Tasmania. And she has um, been in the field for 30 years. So she's gonna be helping us with Tasmania. It truly is international in reach. Uh, but, but we want to help parents understand that those that are the sex ed stuff is the classic method of grooming. And as a matter of fact, parents need to understand this. The content in those different books, uh, Boy Blue, I think it, I should know all the names of it. When you look through and you look at these drawings, you notice they're all drawings. Because if they were photographs, you'd have child pornography. If any of the men that I work with in sex offender treatment, if they were caught with those books, they mm. would be violated out of sex offender treatment and put back in prison because it's grooming material. But those books in a, a grade school library put there by the grade school librarian are not referenced as pornography they're thought of as educational material but that that break begs the question how does one 
educate children about that part of life? I think how it was done up until maybe the 60s. I think we did okay. Which, which was, you separate boys and girls. I remember, I mean, in my sex ed class, that was probably near the end of the cusp. That was mid-70s, so I get a little bit older. But yeah. how they would do it is boys and girls would be separated. At what age? Class, at sixth grade. Okay, so 12, 11. Yeah, that's right. And so just coming of age, and so they had, it was primarily led by the nurse. But you had our teachers in the room. And the nurse, a female nurse, kind of led that. And the prim- much of the focus was on female anatomy. This is a little bit harder to understand. We, we guys are right. involved. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of mystery about us, boy. We, okay. And I think that was handled well. So separating them out based upon sex or gender. I, I don't have a big issue. I know Jen Smith, uh, a legitimate trans guy. Um, I just saw a video he put out. He, he's very emphatic, and I can appreciate it, emphatic in that, uh, separating out the term sex and gender. I, I'm old school because I don't want to buy into yeah. um, all, all the terminology because it's endless. Once you get sucked into that kind of discussion, yeah. well, now we got cisgender. We got, I, I, it's like speaking a foreign language. I'm not yeah. interested. Yeah. We have male and female. And never the twins shall meet. Now, are there except point zero 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 zero? So let's not even go there. In my thirty years of counseling, I've counseled all sorts of folks in all sorts of settings. I've never met that you know that rare exception. Oh. But I've met a lot of people that have. Been are, you, are you talking about intersex? Or are you talking about like that's right. true that's trans? Right. That, that's right. The intersex. Do you know how many people there are? In life, uh, I don't, you know, there's a handful. Those are just the research. Those are the ones that end up uh, the subjects of genuine research studies. Okay, that is so rare that is just not an issue. It doesn't mean I don't care. Of course I care, but that doesn't set the stage for what we're. I mean, it doesn't make allowance for what we're dealing with now. So they took a non-issue and used that as the premise to open the floodgates for cult-like methods of manipulating and grooming. So let's put that back in its place. If I ever yeah. come across that kind of person, we'll work with that. But well, really what, what about, you're with, anybody what about, that has gender-related issues, yeah. that's my premise, gender-related issues, they have it for a reason. Because somebody from the outside has created those issues for them. The best way to help someone by the way, in my clinical estimation, the best way to help someone that has gender-related issues is twofold. Get them off the subject and find out if they were perped on. Because if they're perped on, they need healing for their trauma. And part of that trauma can be through that manipulation. You have to help get their intuition back. So the goal of counseling is really two things, reestablishing boundaries and then grief and loss. So if they were overtly perped on where they were overtly traumatized, now they have to work through that trauma. What does that uh, mean, trauma. working through trauma? Okay. Um, like looking at it, degree, uh, exposure you, the therapy. Degree, you're right, and that's right. I'm sorry. That's right. I traffic in these terms. Okay. Working through simply means this, going through the process of grief and loss, quite frankly, and coming to terms with the extent of the injustice or or oppression that was done to you. I use the analogy of this. Again, and it all has to do with boundaries. To the extent that 
you were negatively impacted by what I've done, I've had an effect upon you and not a positive effect. So the goal of therapy is then to help you regain or reconnect with your intuition because how I was able to cross your boundaries, I did it one of two ways, either by force and very overtly, well, we call that a crime. You're going to have to work that through because something overwhelming came into your life. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk does a really nice job defining trauma, which is this. It's an, it's an extreme or overwhelming experience where I was placed in a powerless position. I could not affect the outcome. So I was negatively impacted. And that can be in a lot of different ways. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Um, if you were taken to the cleaners by someone financially, you're traumatized. If I sold you a bridge to nowhere, if you, if you took your life savings and trusted me, if I'm Bernie Madoff, who made off with all the money, you invested, you gave me all your money, you're traumatized now. You've been significantly and meaningfully impacted in a negative way. So I've changed the course of your life. Yeah. It's not a minor thing. So I can impact you financially. I can impact you sexually. There's certain ways that we can be the, the greater degree of impact is self-evident. When you impact somebody sexu uh, through sex and sexuality, you impact them at their core. You either do that overt, we call that rape or molestation. Yeah. That's the kind of person that's quickly going to go to prison. Or you're going to do it in such a way where the person tells themselves as they turn their intuition down they tell themselves i know what it looks like but it's really not that so they're not giving pushback so the two things in play all the time when there's boundary violation that's a fancy term that simply means this we think in terms of boundaries when it has to do with things of importance what's the difference between public and private property well who can be on there if I call a police officer, if I'm mm -hmm. at a public park and saying, hey, there's people on the grass here, people on the, I want you to come and get them off. He'll say, what are you talking about? Well, the park, it's mine. He'll say, no, this is public property. No, 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 no. Yeah. Right? And so I'm out of touch with reality. I'm delusional. And by the way, the trans movement is based upon a delusion. We're teaching kids and they'll do it, born in the wrong body, really. Boys and girls aren't boys and girls. X, 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 Y chromosome aren't that. As a matter of fact, in any other setting, you would give someone a delusional disorder, a clinical delusional disorder. It's testing reality. We said uh, they're, they're oriented times three, person, place, and thing kind of thing. So if someone said, well, like I'm speaking to you from one of the states in the U.S., actually South Carolina, if I told you I'm... I'm I'm Pacific Standard Time. And you would say, well, no, John, you're Eastern Standard. No, 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 no. I, I know I'm Pacific Standard Time. 
Okay. Well, no big deal. Uh, we may miss an appointment. <laughs> By three hours. Wrong, right? <laughs> yeah. But if it comes to like a plane, uh, you know, when I'm supposed to catch a plane, maybe I'm going to a job interview. Maybe I'm trying to get to the bedside of a dying loved one. Then it matters. Then I better be oriented. So it depends upon what we're talking about. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how persuaded I am. The question is, am I persuaded about what is true? If I am persuaded about something that's untrue, then I'm delusional. It's okay. It's nothing personal. Everybody can be delusional. But a delusional person also can be manipulated. And if I take advantage of someone that's delusional, or if I feed them a delusion in order to take advantage of them, that's not to be celebrated. I'm now telling them what you think is true is not and I'll tell you what is true. There used to be a phrase, we still kind of use it. As a matter of fact, there's a line of books called, you know, uh, Computers for Dummies, Engine Repair for Dummies. Remember the Four Dummies and that little yellow books and yeah, it's yeah. kind of basics and I love those books because I'm right in there. I need that yeah, kind yeah. of book. Yeah. Well, it was very similar to a phrase that used to be very common. We would say, well, you know, it's not very uh, complicated, it's just biology 101. That was a very common phrase, even in business or kind of like Murphy's Law. There's certain phrases that people would use. Yeah. So it used to be very common, part of the trans movement, I would imagine, say, you know what, come on, that's kind of like biology 101. It's kind of like, and that's referencing freshman year biology class. Basics. So that phrase is a euphemistic little term saying, you know, this concept is not all that complicated. So that phrase would be used in a lot of different settings to say, hello, this is not really, you know, it's not rocket science. There we go. So it's kind of like biology 101. Now, where did that phrase come from? Why that phrase before the trans movement? Because it was like saying, there's nothing as more basic than what's in front of your eyes called a dangling participle for a male. Yeah. It's really not that hard. Okay. All a manipulator, a, a sociopath, psychopath, a predator, a psycho, a cult leader, all the same thing. All they need you to do in order for them to accomplish what they're after, again, since they have no conscience, they dispense with conscience, the last thing they need to get over, the last hindrance from having free reign with you and your money or your body is your intuition. Again, conscience and intuition. Yeah. And so if I can get you to discount the one internal means that you have of reality testing long before there's enough definitive information in front of you, that's your intuition. If I can get you to discount that, turn the volume down on that, override your intuition, now you're mine. Now I'm a snake oil salesman. Old fashioned term, wagon train would pull up, you know, uh, Calistoto wagon yeah. pulls into the, into the town and the guy's a great actor and he's got this bottle, right? That can cure everything. We call it snake oil. So hence the term, he's a snake oil salesman. There was even a, a movie made of that, right? So this is the guy that can sell you anything. Yeah. Why? Because, and look at how many infomercials, right? They're going to sell you things. And we think, is that really true? Oh, yeah. You know, here's all the feedback. 87 positive reviews. You know, the person has done all these 87 positive reviews. He's a classic. He's a sales guy. 
we call it a used car salesman. No offense to used car salesman, right? Yeah. That's why people hate going on to car lots because they know they're going to be manipulated into something because who's going to be talking with them? Okay, so the, the phrase, the biology 101, used to be um, used to reference that certain things are self-evident. Well, if you want to manipulate somebody, so if you're a manipulator, sociopath, psychopath, cult leader, whatever, it's all the same thing. Uh, in a way, it's all it's working you and then then psychopaths going to have an effect. But the first and foremost of all those stages are I'm objectifying you. So I want I want what you have, whether you finance, body, time, effort, energy, resources. I want what you have and I'm going to take that. Every one of those categories, except for the psychopaths. They don't wish ill upon you because they don't derive any satisfaction. The psychopath will. So there's that point of demarcation. But all of them want you to freely give what they could point a gun at you and risk going to prison. So they're going to get you to freely give to them what they don't want to overtly take. How do you do that? We're going to cause you to freely give. So I'm going to endear myself to you. I'm going to get you to trust me. But I'm also at the same time, I'm causing you... Here's a, the classic phrase. It's both literal and figurative. They will tell you this. Well, you know, let's say I'm working you. I'm either going to upsell you in a car or whatever. So, Benjamin, you're my target of opportunity. And I start to get you to give me your cash or your body or whatever it is. Your time, your effort, your trust. Yeah. Um, and you start to say, Hey, wait a second, right? That's your intuition. We go, hey, like, yeah. I, you know, I know what you're telling me, but I don't know about this. Okay, that's a healthy thing. You need to be able to be skeptical and discerning. But that, as somebody that's going to manipulate you, that's my greatest hindrance. I have to get you to relax. So I have to tell you in one mm-hmm. form or another. Well, Benjamin, I I know what it, I know what it looks like, but it's really not that. Trust me. Yeah. So you start to then turn your intuition down. And I know when it's mission accomplished, when I have full sway over you, Yeah. when I hear you tell somebody else that same phrase about me, because they're not under the sway of me. And so someone will come along that cares about you and say, Benjamin, you know that Euler guy? I don't know. He, he just seems sketchy. Why are you going into business with him? Or, I know I have you when you will come to my defense and say, well, I know what it looks like, but it's really not that. You can trust him. Yeah. You just you're fully under my right. I know you I know just described like so that. many like progressive cults, like That's the anti racism movement. Like. Like. This guy in drag going to read kids. I know what it looks like, but I'm a parent. It's really not that. He just loves kids and he wants to entertain them. I know he never goes to read to shut ins or to old folks' homes. I never I know he never reads elsewhere, yeah. but he just really loves kids. And I know every um, wife and mother in marriage counseling, the most often thing you hear as a marriage counselor is he doesn't talk to me and he won't spend time with the kids. So most normal guys, unfortunately, have to be reminded to spend time with the kids. But these guys don't have to be reminded. It's amazing how they just love kids. They're like a kid magnet. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, and not, I, well, okay, but child, like Raffi, you know, the child entertainer, there, there's a certain kind of artist that does, True. you know, is Dr. Mr. Seuss, Rogers. Jim Henson, Mr. Rogers. There you go. There right. you go. But do you see them acting out things that 
they have seen in pornography? Uh, no. I mean, it, you could read it into anything. I mean, you could like go through Rafi's lyrics. No. You could do like baby beluga is a metaphor for, you know, uh, the sperm. Uh, yeah, true. You know, whatever, why, you know. That's exactly right. Okay. And there used to be the joke about Mr. Rogers being a, a pedophile. Right? Well, Shel Silverstein was writing for Playboy before he did his uh, Where the Sidewalk Ends, right? That's a little now, sketch. That book is always kind of, uh, you know, you know uh, sketch, not right? anything definitive, but <laughs> here's, here's, here's one way to discern in my estimation. Okay. A normal adult understands, and it's all intuitive, right? A healthy normal adult is protective of kids. They're not exploitive. Hmm. They're looking out for the best interest of kids, genuinely. And the one thing they always want to preserve is a child's innocence, a normal adult. But if you have an adult hmm. that starts to introduce things that are above and beyond the normal developmental stages yeah. when it has to do with sex and sexuality, well, anybody yeah. that's going to introduce any sexualized topic or visual material that for those of us that have hormones would register, yeah. you introduce that to a kid, you're grooming them. Because a kid isn't going to have a sexualized thought until hormones kick in. That's why you look at the stages of kids. Yeah. They are best friends. They go through the stage where they don't know any difference between sex or gender. And they play together. But then they'll go through a stage where cooties, even, uh, you know, the movie um, with Gru, what is it? Um, Despicable Me. They show that scene. Gru has cooties and every, all the kids run. Okay, that's kindergarten that's first grade second go through that cootie stage so at first kids play together they don't understand but then they start to have a separateness as far as sex or gender boys yeah. will play with boys girls and they don't want girls ah that's girls well stuff. or they they end up like doing acting out like this primitive sort of flirting where they're kind of like hitting okay, each other go. rather than hitting on each other right there, okay, there, there's, there you th go. this tension starts to arise and this volume that's starts right. to you start that's to right. notice, right? And then they but, start but talking about crushes and all that okay, stuff. There, there you go. But that yeah. won't come until about junior high-ish. Yeah. Or middle school. Okay. So you'll have somewhere between like yeah, second, grade. Third, yeah. third grade and fifth grade. They come back together and they're just buddies. They'll, they'll play together again. They play games together and they just know. And the girls are starting to get faster than the boys, but it's not a, it's not a sexist thing. And so if they're smart, the boys are smart. They want the fast girls on their team as far as kickball or right. And that's right around middle school or, or junior high kind of before. So a hormone spurt is happening, yeah. but they're still not having, you don't sense a lot of sexuality awareness in terms of sex and sexuality. And that's why it used to be that sex ed would be inserted then before hormones have kicked in. Yeah. They're telling the kids, this is, these are the changes your body you're starting, is going to start going through. Here's what you can expect. So before it's happened, so it presumes that these kids do not have, it hasn't been awakened. So if you have a child that has an advanced degree of knowledge, everything from body parts to an understanding, and they start to reference things prior to hormones, they somebody from the outside or an influence from the outside and how can it not in this culture unfortunately with cell phones 
But that information has come from the outside in, and the child developmentally doesn't understand it. But that's all a predator needs. So think about how many people have been uh, groomed, have been molested as kids, and these adults, inevitably guys, the guys will use what? Inevitably, they will use pornography. Now, what happened prior to pornography? There was still manipulation, but you can't tell me, and the facts are this, by the way, that... 100%, ever since porn and the internet, 100% of sex offenses, so we'll say to be conservative, starting in the 90s, 100% of every man that offends against whether adult or child is deeply steeped in pornography prior to offending. So pornography is the basis of all offending. 100% of sex of, of child offenders 100 you'll never find an exception how do you know because i had access to all the records and i did on my own time i dug deep and you'll never find an exception so every man that is busted perping on a kid 100 percent of the time and somebody can do their own do an internet search you won't find an exception they're always 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 busted with child rape porn because that's what child porn is mm-hmm. and the vast majority 98 99 percent are also they will have charges of uh, dissemination or distribution, meaning they're passing it along. So to say that men are minor attracted, that is a lie. No man is attracted to a child's body. They want to have a lasting impact. They're stealing. Hmm. They are defrauding. And they're scarring the mind and the soul. When Jesus said, better go put a millstone around your neck, that was the largest rock at the time. The Greek word for that, very interesting, is scandalon. We get the word scandalize. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. So we get the word scandalize. And what he's saying is this. What you're about to do, you're going to hang something around the neck of that young person that for the rest of their life, they're going to stumble over this, including their view of God. Because if God's a loving God, why didn't he protect me? It has profound impact, yeah. their own sexuality, their own sense of themselves. So what Jesus was saying is, if somebody's going to stumble over something the rest of their life, you better hang that around your neck rather than the kid. I've never, the, a significant amount of people that enter into counseling have had their sexual boundaries crossed early on. That sets them up for then having difficult time yeah. with boundaries in the present as far as discerning who to interact with and being able to have a voice. This is, this is a very, this is a very rudimentary question, but I think it's important because I think we've lost this. Why, why is sexuality so powerful? Like in in the post-sexual revolution, it's just this thing that's done, but you're saying that it goes to the root and the core of the person. Why that, why not blowing your nose? Like what's different about that physical activity? Uh, excellent question. And it's not rudimentary, Benjamin. And think about what's happened. Now, it's just like blowing your nose. I remember when the phrase, and it shocked me, but this was probably late 80s, early 90s, the introduction of this term. You know, some terms never existed at some point. Yeah. Marketing terms, right? Um, recreational sex. I remember the point at which Casual. that entered into common vernacular. Yeah. Right, that was before hookups. So once upon a time, the term hookup never was. And so I remember, you know, I'm in the field of counseling and, um, or I think finishing undergrad, but starting master's and um, recreational. I said, what? I said, well, you know, 
Or here it is. Here's another phrase that never exists once upon a time. Friends with benefits. Yeah. So those tended to come along. I go, what? Oh, yeah, friends, we're friends with benefits. And, I'm, and so a guy was telling me that. I said, repeat that again. He says, well, you know, for, uh, to, oh, so you're manipulating her, actually, into thinking you're more than you are, and you're able to get some. Hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> so when called upon them, okay. Uh, so some of these phrases came along at some point in time. In our heart of hearts, who we are in terms of maleness and femaleness, it's, it's, it's within the DNA. That personality structure and gender are very closely, or sex. I, you know, for me, again, I don't make a big difference because I don't want to, because I want to bring people back, back to basics, which is this. We're either male or female. And there's very unique things about being a male or a female that matter when you blur that now you've created real issues and i'll tell you one of the most primary things it's how we approach relationships and if i as a manipulator can get you to believe that we all view sex and sexuality the same then i'm going to take you for a ride especially the female population if i can convince a woman that she can hop in and out of bed with somebody yeah. and not be impacted. Yeah. It's not that the guy is not. Yeah. Then I'm going to cause a lot of scarring way down deep inside in her, in her heart of hearts that she doesn't even know she'll be impacted by, that she'll find it very difficult to trust the rest of her life. Men by nature are visually oriented. We are triggered by the visual Women by nature are triggered by what's called ear gate. Ear gate. Yeah, that's that's my favorite phrase. I heard that once upon a time. I don't know who to attribute that to. So to understand the difference in terms of sex and sexuality, and we've lost this, and this is what's so damaging. Men are visually oriented, so we initially notice someone through the eye gate. Okay. Through all of human history... We've all understood that. That's why you look at a first date and you will see it play out. On a first date, usually a woman is dressed up really nicely with makeup on. It gets our attention. Us guys, visually, we notice. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how we're designed. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You watch guys on a first date when we have our best foot forward, and I'll tell you what... What is he doing? Talking, joking. He's talking. Yeah. Relationship. Yeah. He, he's attentive. He's listening. So let's say it's in the college years or high school, but let's say college years. Let's say freshmen. So we have two freshmen in college. They meet. And they go on their first date, and they then go back to their respective residence. And so each now are talking to their friends. 
guys are going to talk side by side. That's what we do, kind of do activity. Girls are going to get on the bed and they're going to talk. Well, how did it go? So the girls are in there. Guys are all <laughs> casual, right? Guys are going to, well, what she look like? What was she wearing, right? You know, she hot? Okay. That's the world over, by the way. Wherever you go around the world, that kind of conversation is going to take place because that's who we are. There's nothing wrong with that. So when selfishness enters in, there's a lot mm. wrong with that. Okay. Or objectification the that, or the reduction I, of the human being to her looks. That's right. But yeah. the fact that I notice, what did I notice? I noticed my wife, prior to being my wife, some enchanted evening across the credit room, started a high school dance. How did I notice her? She she looked really attractive. Why her? You know, we can do it. But somehow she stood out. She caught my eye. That's a good thing. What caused her? She's probably regretting. I'm kidding. We have very good relationship. But what caused her then, as she go back, goes back to the dorm, what they're going to talk about is, what's he like? And what she probably will say in one way or another is, oh, he's such a good, tall, dark, and handsome. He's such a good listener, such a good communicator. But what was he doing? He was listening. So she's drawn to him because of the nature and the quality of the relationship. Yeah. But it works. Now, the guy eventually, hopefully, begins to understand there's more to it than the visual, and he needs to then become who he portrayed himself to be on the first date mm. and vice versa that he's a listener that he cares about her as a person a relationship that works really well is one that has mutual reciprocity between the male and female and they appreciate and value one another he listens to her and she respects him it's very different by nature and you'll see mm. a relationship where there's not vying for attention there's not vying for power and control it there's it's a harmony it's like an orchestra yeah. they yeah. value and appreciate one another yeah yeah but what they're doing is they're naturally playing to one another's strengths and gender related characteristics well why did you say respect for the woman, this is going to piss off the feminists, but of course it will. But that, that's okay. It's very interesting. Two thousand years ago, Paul referenced this, and I still think it's true. The two issues in play, and this comes from Larry Crabb uh, 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 way back when, one of his first books. He posited an idea, and then I'll, I'll speak to this because it dovetails said that the two primary needs of all humans around the world are significance and security. Mm. He nailed it. Mm. Significance and security are the primary, mm. you know, you've got Maslow's hierarchy of needs and all yeah. that. But I really ascribe to that perspective, significance and security. Okay. okay. For male and female, for men and women, they're flip-flopped. So for me as a guy, the key for me to be able to relax and rest and settle down is if I feel enough, if I feel significant. Yeah. You show me a guy that is secure in his masculinity, and he's okay. He can settle down. Usually, we try to do that through financial means. It's not really all that effective. Well, yeah, it's good for the economy, the though. Right. But think about the term the nest egg. That's a very feminine picture. Yeah. So why is a guy 
trying to create a nest egg. What it means is financial security. So once I'm financially secure, I can relax again. But you show me a guy that is secure and I mean, that feels enough, doesn't have to compete with other guys, doesn't always have to prove himself. He's going to be a decent guy to be around and he will be secure. You can't knock him off a square. You can't challenge his sense of self. Are you man enough? Right. Matter of fact, that's unique to male and female. Another piece to this. The world over, girls know when they become women. We call them young women, but what is that point? There's no doubt. So when a, when a girl has her first period, she's now transitioned from childhood to womanhood. That's why typically when you have um, young ladies that are going to fight with each other, which are brutal, the cat fights are, right? You've ever seen, they go for blood. They're serious. You don't get in between two women. They're literally fighting. That's nasty. <laughs> Okay. Um, but the one thing you won't hear them say, and are, as far as challenging them, is you won't hear one egging on the other. Are you woman enough? No, but they'll, they'll slut shame, though, which is telling. Yes. Yeah. Right? They'll, they'll, they'll put each other's reputation at risk, but not their identity as a woman, but there rather a good woman or a bad woman. There you go. Right. That has to do with acceptability. What do you mean? But uh, uh, let me let me uh, okay. do this okay. first part. Um, so the issue of they'll never uh, you'll never hear the phrase "Are you woman enough?" But how about two guys that challenge each other? The world over, you want to get a guy's attention. One guy says to the other, "Are you man enough?" Whoa, that's how you get a guy's attention. Why? Because there's no point of demarcation that a guy goes through to help him know he's arrived at manhood. Hmm. That's why rites of passage. So, so the first Fathers, ejaculation is not sufficient for that. You wouldn't have guys that compulsively ejaculate them. <laughs> huh. That's true. As a matter of fact, in a very important phrase that I heard from one of the sex offenders, pretty heinous one, that I think, though, in his case, he started to see the light. But he was every woman's nightmare. He used to home invasion robbery, and then he would rape the women, but he started home invading robbery to grandmothers okay heinous individual yeah but i think god was doing a work on him miraculously so it was interesting watching him and seeing him go through his own processing and he said this to the other guys and the viewers need to understand when guy gets into habitual when his mind gets taken over by pornography This guy said to the other sex offenders in that particular group, he said, guys, he says, we've got to be honest with ourselves. So it was very interesting. Rare guy that would say that in sex offender treatment. He says, we got to a point where even when we were doing the act, we weren't even there. We're thinking about our next act. This guy wanted to be able to decrease how many times he masturbated per day, even in prison. He would masturbate six times a day. That's taken over. I mean, yeah. can you? what's going on in your thought life all the time? Your mind is very different at that point. Yeah. How are you viewing people? <laughs> you can't view them normally. And so that's different than for a woman. A woman cannot respond, all things being equal, outside of the relationship. 
think about the difference between when a guy and a girl, let's say they go on a date and they're going to go see 50 shades of gray. I remember when that bit that movie came out on Valentine's day, I'm doing sex offender treatment. Oh, and I thought I'm going to ask, cause I've got a great field study right here. I field research. Yeah. Because that movie BDSM has reframed what used to be torture in the middle ages. That used to be how you extract extracted information out of somebody. And people willingly do that? That ain't normal. Hmm. So how do people get to that point? I'll tell you in a, a moment. But So the movie Fifty Shades of Grey comes out, and I ask the guys, what do they have to think about it? Well, you've got a lot of crosstalk, different conversations, but there was a consensus, and I knew this to be true, but there was a consensus at the end as far as the cross-talking and different comments, that the series, I didn't even know there was a series at the time, okay, but Fifty Shades of Grey, written by a woman. Wildly successful, too, among women. Next to the Bible, you had that and then Harry Potter and the Bible. That should tell us something. Very interesting. Okay. Um, But they said that Fifty Shades of Grey is going to, meaning it was coming out, so they're talking sort of real time, Say so this is going to make grooming all the more easy. So women were grooming themselves in the art of sexual assault. Of of the uh, the, the weakening of their own boundaries. Of normalizing a guy sexually assaulting them. Yeah. Okay. In BDSM, we have different terms. We I don't I don't ready. Matter of fact, I have my notes here. I was in a webinar, I'm in the audience, four clinicians and somebody associated with the Kinsey Institute, University of Indiana. And bless her heart, she's talking like this is a reasonable thing, but talking about kink, BDSM, and wanting to ensure that it's safe and the harmlessness of it and and that... um, we need to, uh, and that the myth, people are working out their own trauma through BDSM. That's horrific. That is a lie. Nobody should fall for that because it's going to, all it is is taking advantage of trauma survivors. That's all this is doing. And it's re-perpetrating on survivors. A, any survivor that participates in kink, so this should never, ever happen because this is being suggested by a lot of whacked out deviant therapists in my mind. If a therapist ever suggests to any client to work out her own trauma by getting into kink, that therapist should be hauled out um, and have their license removed, number one. What you're doing is you're setting up a sexual abuse survivor to be re-traumatized again, and then you're going to confuse them because you're telling them that this should help them. doesn't. Why? Because now they're being subjected to legal sexual assault. These are some terms in kink, in BDSM. Choking. Okay, think about the word. I'm going to choke you. Oh, but it's a good thing, really. Okay, I've seen videos, knife play. We've got rope play. You ever seen some of the binding? Do you know, because I work with with sex offenders and men that have done great harm, guess what comes to mind when I hear these things? Exactly what should come to mind with everybody, because the women know why they're doing it, but they think the guy is into it for the same reason. 
If a guy has a, has a rope and he's binding a woman, that woman has no clue what that guy's been accessing online. And by the time she finds out that what she thought was a game is actually sexual assault, we may never hear from her again. <laughs> Look at what has happened, what we've sold women. So Fifty Shades of Grey, the sex offenders say, grooming has never been so easy. This thing is going to do grooming for us because now women will not be able to, to discern sexual assault from whatever this is supposed to be. Now, when I'm interacting with female clients, and let's say they're, they're trying to figure out about their relationship, to be able to introduce this idea to women, if you go out on a date and you go to Fifty Shades of Grey with a guy and you ask the woman, what do you think is going through the man's mind? So here's the difference between male and female. The guy won't even really know at the end of the film that there was a plot. There was a storyline. A woman thinks she's watched a love story. She can tell you the dialogue. She can tell you kind of how this is a wounded healer or she's she's helping somebody wounded. Yeah. A guy can just tell you what's her body look like. Different by nature, men are visually oriented. If we enter into a physical relationship, it doesn't mean that our heart's involved. For women, generally speaking, they can't separate the relationship from the act because they're not supposed to. Because when things are working well, the greatest way to a woman's heart, the, the way a woman gives of herself is through the physical. The way a guy gives of himself is through the relationship, the quality of the relationship. What do you mean by that? Like the provisional? How he, treat, how he treats her out of the bedroom. Okay. A guy can separate the nature of the relationship from the act. And therefore, it doesn't mean that we are respecting the woman. We're not appreciating. It doesn't mean that we appreciate the woman that we're with. Another example of this, cross-cultural, is back in the 70s when Playboy was introduced. Actually, that was in the 60s. But by the time it got going, the 70s, Playboy was really underway. Uh, so was Hustler and uh, uh, Penthouse and then Hustler. Now, this was back in the day prior to online. The women's liberation movement, led by um, there was, um, Anita, what was Anita's name? She sold orange juice as well. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting her name. Um, but when the women's liberation movement, in response to a lot of the free love kind of stuff was going on, and then also Kinsey uh, had a tremendous effect, his, his fraudulent work. Um, you had a counter to Playboy that was launched. It was called Playgirl. And it looked identical. Yeah. It was a magazine with the centerfold. A lot of money went into that. I remember, I was probably fifth grade, but, you know, boys talk. And so now we hear Playgirls. So all of a sudden, you know, the different uh, convenience stores and they used to then have them behind certain binders. You can see yeah. the name. Okay. <laughs> if you ask people in this day and age, do you have a playgirl or you reference the name playgirl, 
because now it's been a number of decades, people won't know what you're talking about. The question is, where did the magazine go? Yeah. It's probably bought by gay men, not women. No, that's right. <laughs> it went out of business. It went bankrupt. Why? People weren't buying it. Well, who, who was the target audience? Women. Yeah. Why weren't women as eager as Playboy or, or as men to Playboy? Because they're not visually oriented, because it's, it's just a static picture without a story. You have Harlequin romance. How many guys will you tend to see if at a bookstore, yeah. all things being equal, how many guys are going to be in front of the Harlequin romance versus the women? Why? Because it's a story. Erotica is, is we call it women's porn, female porn. Why? It has a storyline. We all joke when when it used to be Playboy and paper, guys would say, oh, I, I, I buy Playboy, I read it for the articles. And every guy would say, really? Now there's an article, right? None <laughs> yeah, of us yeah, guys yeah. would buy that, literally. Yeah. Okay. We know the guys don't buy it for the articles because if there weren't the pictures in there, the guys wouldn't be buying it for the articles. Now you got New Yorker, Atlantic. <laughs> okay, so there's something different by nature if we lose that then we don't understand how to ultimately how to care for one another. Hmm. And guys will always then selfish, lust filled and guys that go into deviance. They are the ones that benefit from a dumbing down of this understanding. And that's why now you have men in women's sports. You have men in women's prisons. You have men that are preying upon women and children. And these men are laughing all the way to the bank because yeah. it was the Trojan horrors within the women's Jesus. movement and now women are shocked the feminists are sh radical feminists are shocked that suddenly these men are turning around and saying kill turfs well i hate to tell them and it's not that i'm a great prognosticator but it doesn't surprise me because once you open the door because the women's movement was the tip of the spear for the 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 gay men's movement the gay pride parades. I'm out in California at the time. That happened after the women's movement. Women bought that a lot of these guys were sensitive men and therefore were a marginalized community. And so they, as it were, set the stage for the overt expression of the gay community, men. And so you started to have the gay pride uh, parades in San Francisco and other cities. And the question is this, when you look at a pride parade now versus back in the seventies or early eighties, do they even have any resemblance? You never used to have a leather. You didn't have pups. You didn't have BDSM. Uh, age play. Where, right. Where did all that come from? Because the deviant men within those communities were allowing people to be the tip of the spear to clear the way. Because underneath and in back of all of this, you have pedophiles that have always wanted to have access to kids because deviants will ultimately drive a man to mar and scar someone on the inside to have an effect. And that's why you'll see the age will tend downward of the age of the person they quote unquote. Because the younger they are, the, the more impactful the mark. There you go. There you go. 
And so this has all been an end run, sadly. Now there's different special interests within the trans deception and each are feeding off the bodies. I call them the jackals, each are taking a piece of the body, so to speak. But the ones I'm most concerned about, the most detrimental are the predators and pedophiles and pushing this and deriving the greatest benefit are those that knew they could never do a frontal assault on age of consent laws. So this is all a back door. That's why we're now hearing the term bodily autonomy and consent. Yeah. And the COVID thing really moved that whole thing forward because now kids can consent to whether or not they want to take a shot or not. But when you introduce the idea of bodily autonomy and then look at the legislation that was introduced in California, now if you have somebody between uh, two individuals, two consenting individuals yeah. between the age of 15 and 24, let that sink in. It doesn't hit you until you really think age 15. What, what age potentially is that? We're talking high school, young, prior to driving, maybe freshman age, give or take, and 24, we're talking college. Well, Scott Weiner, interesting name, yeah. who good friends with Nancy Pelosi yeah. um, out there, was the one to introduce all these types of deviant legislation under the guise of care, concern, compassion. He, he decriminalized uh, uh, HIV, spreading HIV without telling, informing people. Yeah. And so he then is and then he led the, He led that um, bill that uh, accepts kids from out of state, uh, right. fleeing kids and will trans you. Right. It's child trafficking. Like, is it not? Okay. And it's all he, under the guise of this compassion. Like, th this is this is my question. It seems like California is a great case test or test study for this case study. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You have a very liberal attitude, very accepting. People think that they're good. Everybody wants to be good, and you have this escalation of criminality across the board. It, there's something about the mindset on a political sociological level where people are opting into this or people are being manipulated into opting into this on a massive level. And the parents that, you know, stumble into what's going on in their schools that I've spoken to, they usually say the Californians, I'm, I'm a good liberal. I'm, I'm a good liberal. I'm a good liberal. I'm a good liberal constantly. And they're just trying to make like one little change in this because they see what's happening to their kids getting trans or whatever, but they still want to be a part of the good people. So there's something married in the mindset of the good liberal that is allowing for massive criminality. And, and talk about borders, the loss of uh, of boundaries, like the, like that the the flood of you know immigrants into the country illegally is another like boundary issue. And you see the good liberal not wanting to bring that up and not wanting to do that. So there's, I'm just trying to think of that mindset and why it's allowing and promoting this because all of the really good liberal magazines are promoting the transness stuff. Right. And excellent, excellent point, Benjamin, because to look at California is to see how the trans deception is being pushed. 
Okay. I'm a native California, was there for years. Mm -hmm. California is actually very conservative. When you look at the counties, you will see California went blue and went liberal. California used to be the most conservative state. It was Reagan territory. Yeah. And the question is, how did you turn California from staunch conservative traditional values to what it is now, 80, 90, 40 years? What happened? Because they worked it politically. They gerrymandered districts and one could question whether or not the actual vote count is what the vote count is. If you capture the political apparatus, I mean, whoever controls the, the ability to legislate and pass public policy, now you can ram it down the throat of everyone. Northern California, okay, aside from LA proper, Hollywood, a little bit, now San Diego is still conservative. So the liberal bastions in California, California is about 1,300 miles long. Let that sink in on the East Coast. It's very interesting coming out here. Yeah. In one day, you can cross through a lot of states. Yeah. In California, it takes you two days, almost three days, to get out. If you start in San Diego and go to Oregon, that's a three-day journey. <laughs> okay, so very different. Think about the distance. Well, come on. Man up, John. You can do it. Yeah, I'm day. telling you. Okay, a bunch of Red Bull and you can make it one. <laughs> okay. Um, but Northern California, so the three liberal areas and the rest is all red. And same thing for Pennsylvania. Everything is red in Pennsylvania except for Pittsburgh and Philly. Everything is red in California except for L.A., including Hollywood uh, and Long Beach. Uh, uh, so the, the blue, you look at a map, look at how they vote. L.A., Long Beach-ish Hollywood. You've then got the Bay Area. Uh, the Bay Area. And then uh, that that's pretty much it. Everything else is going to be red. Then how did that, and maybe Palm Springs start, okay? Let that sink in. Two geographical areas that are condensed in terms of population. And then how do you ensure that the vote really swings? You, you acquire new voters that are very much going to vote the way you incentivize them. How do you do it? You open the floodgates. This is not a racial thing. This is not a, right? So yeah. the reason they're allowing people to come in is to get extra voters. That's how you shift it. And so now you have a, you have a state. The majority of people in, in, in California can't believe what's happened to their state. That's why they're moving out. What happened to our state? What happened is people with an agenda were very smart and everybody else assumed and gave people the benefit of the doubt that, not on my watch. This will never happen. You have good people that will play by the rules. That's because they don't understand psychopaths. Psychopaths have an agenda. Yeah. If you live next door to a psychopath, you better be mindful. Well, because and every day he wants to work you because he's un that's a sociopath. But a psychopath, that's a sociopath. Psychopath is unsettled until he can make you miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have an in-law, where <laughs> the joke, um, uh, in-laws yeah. and outlaws, why won't my mother-in-law get right? But why won't they just stop? Because they're not normal. Why are you, here it is, why are you surprised? The best way to help someone protect themselves is to educate them on the issue of selfishness and sociopaths, psychopaths. So now when you look at, hopefully, from this discussion, 
and I've been all over the place, Benjamin. You probably wanted to talk about some specific thing. But okay, think about men and women's sports. Here's a good example. Yeah. If I believe my eyes, then I won't understand what's happening. Because I'll believe it's about sensitive guys that want to win medals. Sensitive guys? It seems like you have to be kind of like, I don't know. I, I'm sorry to bring this up, but that Leah Thomas swimmer character, like I look into the eyes of that person. I'm like, there's a lot oh, missing. You're being too judgmental. I know. I'm reading it. I'm mind reading it. Of course. Right? So it's, there's a you, lack I'll of sensitivity. You, I'll tell you who Leah Thomas is. He's a porn fueled guy who's loving laughing all the way to the bank. That's all the guy is. Does anybody know what he accesses online? In between meets, dude. But we don't want to think that because he looks normal. How did Ted Bundy get so many victims? How did Jeffrey Dahmer get so many victims? A different than BTK killer or uh, Green River, right? The guys that break into homes—that's different. But Jeffrey Dahmer, where did he get all his victims? Colleges. I know he went to Evergreen a couple bars, times. Bars, gay bars. Okay. okay. He would meet them and bring them back and then have them for lunch, or have them for dinner, or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Ted Bundy. They look normal. People need yeah. to understand. He was Ted Bundy was even working in the in the governor's office in Washington. And he, and background law. To look right at Ted Bundy, he looks normal. The the most sophisticated of psychopaths meaning the most successful in greater degree of victims, greater amount of victims and have a longer, they have greater longevity without getting stopped. That means you're pretty successful. If you're able to, Bill Clinton, how many years has Bill Clinton been in office yet? What has he ever produced in life? Uh, he's got a library, right? Isn't there a claim? <laughs> Taxpayer expense. Okay. <laughs> Same thing. And this is not a political statement. He's, he's got a foundation that uh, launders. What about Barack Obama as well? Yeah. What has Barack Obama really produced in life? Like Benjamin, you. Nobel Prize. They, they haven't produced anything. He was a, a, a community agitator. I'm sorry, a community mm -hmm. organizer. He was an activist and then went into politics. Now, again, it's not a political statement. But when somebody's never really produced anything in life, now that doesn't mean that psychopaths can't produce. Okay, um, But a psychopath will have longevity the more they can appear normal and trustworthy. That's why they go into positions uh, that are respectable, positions yeah. of trust. right? And that's why they go into the ministry. They go into law enforcement. They go wherever. Um, wherever people can, wherever they can earn people's trust. Yeah. Okay. So we want we kind of naturally think with the word psychopath, understandably, that a psychopath is like Freddy Krueger or you know the uh, Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock movies. Those are the bloody psychopaths. But what does somebody look like who has no conscience? They can look perfectly normal. That's what we don't understand typically, and that's what all psychopaths understand. Yeah. That normal people again, they'll use our conscience against us. Yeah. When it comes, so therefore, if once I start to understand that a psychopath can look me in the eye, do impression management, meaning like an actor on the stage, they can look me right in the eye, look the camera right in the eye, and they're going to turn it on or turn it off. Sam Brenton came up with this very 
if you watch the film when he's being interviewed as a college student about conversion therapy and the torture he went through. Well, he's lying through his teeth. Just lying. You watch him. There's no corroborating evidence. And now proof is in the pudding. He has a criminal mind. How do we know? He's stealing women's suitcases. Why? For their underwear. Bottom line. And when you start stealing women's but underwear. Why, why would this is a little political, but it, I think it's a very necessary question. Why would the Biden administration flaunt these obvious perverts and or deviants? Why would they be? Why would they take pride in platforming and centering the Levines and the Britons? And and is it is it to embarrass us? Is it to show some sort of cred? Is it to rub our faces in it? Like it seems there. there. Okay. And that makes them what? <sighs> Powerful? Psychopathic. psychopathic. They do it for a number of reasons. hundred percent of people in the Biden administration are psychopathic? No. A lot of them, hundred percent. Now, what does a psychopath look like? The smarter they are, you're not gonna be able to spot them. They look more normal. But the question is this, are any of them sorry? Have you heard anybody apologize for hiring the guy? No. <laughs> okay, that means they have no conscience. And look at what they've done to the country. And uh, Levine, what a, what a sham, okay? Who's pushing all the amputation, sterilization, all these kids, you have no Onto conscience. foster kids. Okay, that's right. Onto foster kids, it, the most okay. vulnerable. There you go. The mo the ones that have been the most used and abused and have no intuition. Forty percent in Canada are the ones that are being targeted. Or forty percent of forty um, percent of those that are being medicalized are in the foster care system. That is psych that's heinous. That's diabolical. These are smart people that are doing this. So let's give them credit for who they are, God. and let's not downplay and therefore layer on any sort of these these sympathies. No, yeah. these are calculating individuals that are very interested in using people and furthering an agenda. What is the agenda? To use people for their benefit. And that we call those special interests. So big pharma. Uh, the, the, these kids are simply a means to an end. But we who have a conscience don't want to believe that somebody would do that. But yeah, that's we can't. Because, yeah. yeah. It's trans um, so, rights. It's human rights. They're trans kids. They're in the wrong body. No, they're not it's, trans a, kids, it's, right? a, it's abusive to not do this to them. It's, it's child abuse to not medicalize right. them. See how they've inverted it? Well done. They've inverted. They put us on our heels. Benjamin, and so our answer to that is there's no such thing as trans kid. You have kids. Yeah. Well, but that, no. See, their narrative has been so effective. We've been brainwashed. So I come along saying there's no such thing as a trans kid. There's a kid. A kid that is confused, a kid that is troubled, a kid that needs help. Probably been abused and probably dissociating from their body because of that. That's right. There are nine red flag clinical uh, key clinical indicators of sexual abuse. My greatest concern, because people said, there's that Euler guy, he's, he's phobic, he's anti that. No, I'm really pro the protection of women and children. That's what I'm all about. I raise the bar on protection. So if you're going to do something that allows the predation of women and children, you're gonna hear me speak about it. I am pro-protection. I'm not anti-anything, I'm anti-perp. Hmm. We used to be in the field that 
required that are called mandated reporters. Yeah. We used to be trained on suspected child abuse. Okay. There are nine indicators that now mandated reporters have been taught through pressure, through manipulation, to reframe those th depression, anxiety, eating disorders, self-injurious behaviors, yeah. bipolar. Yeah. We've got histrionic personality disorder. We have um, borderline um, or whatever. Borderline personality disorder. All these things. Okay. Um, now. And, and the greatest thing is this, any trauma survivor uh, for a kid, what you're inevitably going to hear them say is just like a rape survivor who wants to, after a rape, a survivor wants to go home and take a shower. Why? They feel dirty. Why? Part of that is they feel responsible. They want to get all that off of them. Okay. For someone that has been especially ritualistically abused, that has shattered their personality, and that's what's so vile about all of this, because these perps know they, they these are bright people. These surgeons, these um, these therapists, Advocates. they've been trained. They have to know this. Okay, yeah. that if you shatter somebody's personality, inevitably there's going to be parts. Uh, internal um, internal family systems therapy will reference these as parts. You're shattering different. You know, it used to be called different things. Okay. Um, different parts that's where dissociation comes in so if if the person's not there then who's out okay so you have a shifting of personality states inevitably you're going to have personality states that are male why if you have a personality state that is male they take and the, the, young the person, protective role that's exactly like that? right okay. okay because what's it saying that to be female that female part of me and depending upon the degree of dissociation you're going to either have unconscious or co-conscious that what they reason within themselves as they're trying to keep at bay the the impact of the trauma they will initially blame themselves and they'll say you know what the reason why this happened is because i'm female and i'm i was too docile so if they, there's a protective part of me and and if i'm no longer female and even if that splitting off hasn't taken place it's very the most common thing you will see among especially the the female victims let's say girls let's say minors, you will hear this. I don't want to be a girl. I wish I was a boy. Okay, why? We all understand that. Now, hopefully now that I've said that, it's, it makes sense to people because that child, that minor is reasoning what? That the reason why I'm being perked on is I'm a girl. So can you imagine walking into a therapist's office who's mandated a reporter who should be trained in suspicion of child abuse, who should understand all of this. A kid comes in and says, I don't want to be a girl. I wish I was a boy. Now, what have we done in the world of mental health training, especially with the anti-conversion therapy, all that crap? What is the what is the therapist now going to? We've got a young person comes in, a girl dressed androgynously, no issue with that, comes in and and we can see self injurious marks. You look at Doctor uh, Vile Gallagher and some of the pictures she posts yeah. that I repost. There's self injurious scarring all the time. That is always 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 indicative of sexual abuse. Well, some of those scars. So the the doctor doesn't do an exam. Doctor doesn't see these scars. Then I have real concerns. Something right in front of the doctor's face. Doctor doesn't see it. The doctor's having to slice through the previous scars to take off the breasts. How sick is this? <sighs> so this professional is having to reframe or explain away or or deny what's self-evident. This is self-injurious behavior. This is inverting the trauma. 
because the greater pain wins out. So I now have a kid that self-injurious behavior is depressed, who's anxious, who's supposedly bipolar, has shifting of mood and having panic attacks. And they say this to me, I, I hate being a girl. I wish I was a boy. I, as a therapist, have one of two choices now in this day and age. I either say, oh, well, it sounds like you may be trans. And so I'll write you a script to start sex change. I'm sorry, to write, to start transition, we'll get you on hormones. And then I just think you have an internal conflict and maybe you need to just embrace the fact that you're probably not, you were born in the wrong body. So let's just help you transition. You're already dressing androgynously. You know what? I think you probably are a boy. And off he goes, off she goes now to this treatment. What have we now done to her trauma? We haven't ever investigated this. She's leave it. We put a Band-Aid. We put a Band-Aid that's going to be very dangerous because now we're going to pump her body filled, uh, full of hormones. We're going to sterilize her. And eventually, she keeps going down that process. She's going to be amputated. Now we've added insult to injury, injury to insult. And the one thing I didn't do is, wow, how long have you been feeling this way? When did this start? And then, has anybody ever, ever experienced anybody crossing your boundaries? Anybody ever hurt you? I can't ask that why, because that child may start to disclose. Somebody may end up getting in real trouble, meeting the perpetrator, or at the very least, she's not going to keep participating or allow somebody to keep crossing her boundaries. Now I've messed up somebody's game. Yeah. And now those perps are going to say, oh, Euler changed the course of that child's trajectory. He converted her. Yeah. Yeah. Version therapy for her gender identity yeah. why would why would the all of these professional organizations do this why would they allow this why would they be on board with this is it is it a moral contagion are they so full of their own goodness are they scared like why would they perpetuate yeah. i think it's all the above but you had you've had two i don't know have you had jennifer billick on your program not yet no Oh, you have to, right? Jennifer and I, is, we've interacted kind of behind the scenes a little bit, just online. Brilliant, right? She helped me realize connecting the dots with the money. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So let me give a plug to, for her blog, the 11th hour blog. Nobody does it better than Jennifer Billick. She and I couldn't be further on the political spectrum. But when yeah. it comes to this, I don't talk politics. Yeah. Really, if you notice. Well, when it comes to the protection aside. of the children, <laughs> right? When it comes to the, you know, I haven't. I don't, I don't want to focus on that. Why? Yeah, because yeah, I don't yeah. want to distract from the issue. Yeah. The issue is this. I don't care where we are in the political spectrum, but when it comes to the hordes that are invading the city that want access to women and children, I don't care how you vote. I don't care your background. If you're going to lock arms and lock, lock and lock, and I'm not referencing actual violence. Nobody read into this. But it's just like when the L.A. riots happened. I'm old enough to remember that. It was really powerful all these spot fires, all these arsonists were the, the firemen couldn't keep up with all these fires that were going on all over this very large city. And the police were too scattered. And so you had communities come together. You had store owners come together. And I'll never forget in one area, you had Chinese and African-American business owners and, and white business owners on strip, on strip malls. I remember they were in front of their they were protecting their property and they were on the roofs with loaded weapons yeah. side by side, different cultures, different languages, different race, ethnic, 
But you know what? They were together. They're, they didn't they didn't talk anything other than I got your back. Why? Because nobody's going to harm. If, if somebody, the African-American business owner saw somebody going to the Chinese business owner, shoot him. Why? Because I'm, I've got his back. When it comes to the protection of life, liberty, and happiness, <laughs> life and liberty, but protection of women and children, we should all be able, all reasonable adults on any, on any side of the aisle should be able to come together. This is not a political issue. Jennifer Billick is a radical environmentalist. I love her work <laughs> with this because, she, as a matter of fact, she raises issues I've never thought of about the 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 uh, transhumanism. I still try to wrap my mind around it. Uh, but the but she and I together, not we don't know one another. Here's another person I had a good conversation with, but you've had, and so I would reference her work as well as well because she exposes exactly what you just referenced is. Um, Denise? Uh, Genevieve Glick. Oh, Glick, yeah. Okay. Brilliant researcher. She and I spent some time on the phone one time, a little over an hour. And very different worldviews, different, very different political perspective. But she's done the best research on uncovering the answer to your question, I believe. When she started to look at it, and I knew it intuitively, but she was able to, she started telling me where she was able to access. She's brilliant. Right, these different uh, Reddit things or threads, or she gets behind firewalls. She's just brilliant. I said, "How do you do that?" She brought up. She kind of showed me some things, and I, I'm just, I don't track with all that. So <laughs> she was able to get access to the darkest of the dark, deviant men that ultimately want to, and this is where the predators come in. Ultimately, want to because you watch a deviant man as he, a man as he goes furthest into the predation, they will end up castrating and killing kids, snuff stuff, snuff born. She uncovered the eunuch archives. The eunuch archives, one of the deviant guys, um, has the, actually a couple of them. She has since been locked out. They found her IP address or something. So, but she took enough screenshots. Okay, They are conferring with WPATH to now have this eunuch gender identity. Yeah. Okay. What is that all about? Yeah. And remember when Matt Walsh did his was a woman and he he talks to Dr. Bowers and she makes light of him when he said, well, if somebody wanted to amputate their their limbs and she says, well, that's stupid. That'd be cuckoo. That'd be crazy. They have that now. I've, <laughs> I've listened to uh, people that were in the audience of the most recent gathering of WPATH. Okay. You have special interests that have influenced the DSM that have influenced the APA, that have influenced academics. Yeah. That's where you start to see the money from the Pritzkers. But why do the good people go along with it? Why do the good professional liberals go along with it? That's what we could ask back. How did, how did Germany turn into Nazi Germany? That's where you get that same philosophical challenging question, which is, if I'm a decent person... And I start to see things that enter into, I can see how it's going to play out, but if it doesn't directly impact me, mm. or if there's consequences for starting to say something, will I? The moral dilemmas. At the very least, you have moral cowards. And I'll now speak to the, I've called them the dirty dozen plus one. Those on the working group of the DSM-5, because not until when you look at the numbers, Tuck and Blanchard and Zucker, 
they can come in. You've had them on the program, your program. Okay. And I'm aware very much. These are the heavy hitters in my field. Yeah. But I call them moral cowards and I'll do it on your program now. Let's say at the very least, I'm aware they stood up for C against C-Sex. Okay. I added my part to that. If you found out through your work inadvertently, you created, you opened a Pandora's box and you created a Frankenstein's monster. Wouldn't you at some point in time say, you know what? If we hadn't published the DSM-5 or our work, none of this was here prior to the DSM-5. Why? Because the DSM-5 allowed billing. You look at the rates of referrals and if anybody wants to check this out, I have a blog, survivorsupport.us. The most frequented post or um, thing that I wrote, a piece that I wrote is, why are the professionals missing the red flags? And I simply present rates of referrals from different countries. That's fact-based. Rates of referrals to gender clinics. Okay. And I overlay when the DSM was published, DSM-5, and it's like a tidal wave. The base of the tidal wave shoots, it starts to shoot straight up at 2013. What historically, what, I mean, one, one country, one clinic, okay, it could be a fluke. But when you start to see the US and Britain and the Netherlands and France, Europe and Australia, everything, 2013, prior to that, it was flatlined pretty much. And I layered different influences, RuPaul, Jazz Jennings, uh, the introduction of the different face, uh, social media, and you'll see blips. But it wasn't until RuPaul, you saw a little blip as far as referrals. But it wasn't until 2013. Well, okay, what in the world happened around 2013 that universally around the world, we have this spike. It looks like a tidal wave. You know, the, the base of a tidal wave, the shallow, and then it goes straight up. Hmm. That's no trend. Okay, that's influence. What happened in 2013 that made such a significant difference? Suddenly people could bill for services. What allowed that? The DSM-5. So the DSM-5 without 13 people, without Zucker signing off on this thing, without Blanchard contributing, you would not have the trans movement. Now, in, in I, the... I say that. If you go back to the DSM-4 diagnosis, the trans movement goes away because it's not profitable. What's the what's the diagnosis then? Like what what does it the come down to? Teen. It was always child, suddenly adolescent. What I say is this: knowing what we know and seeing what we see, and they even had to stand up, or you know, to their credit, um, Blanchard did, or was it Blanchard or Zucker that testified against C-Sex? And Canner, he and I have huge differences, but to his credit, I think there are different motives. Okay, they, they testified against the transitioning of medical transitioning of kids. Okay, he had to do that because of the DSM-5. Because once it became billable, now you had this tidal wave. It opened the floodgates. Well, how about doing this? With medical integrity or psychological, you know, professional integrity, getting together, the group of them saying, you know what? We didn't anticipate the implications of our work. We now regret it because we're seeing the harm. So what we're going to do is 
we're going to just put everything back to the DSM-4, which prior to the year 2013, we did really good therapy. Around gender, specifically. Uh, with, with all injured and wounded kids. Okay. We had greats in the field. We had really quality graduate schools. We had good quality graduate textbooks. Everything was fine. Kids were receiving pretty decent help until it became profitable. So I would have respect for them. And so my public challenge to them is come forward and say this. You know what? We opened a Pandora's box inadvertently. They can say that. Let's go back. We're going to retract. We go back to the, D to the diagnosis of the DSM-4, DSM-4-TR, but DSM-4. Now let's be satisfied with that. It worked. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's go back. They'll never do it. Why? I want to know why. Hmm. The leaders in this field should stand up, have the integrity to say, we see what's happened because right after we published, the, right after our work was published in the DSM-5, all hell broke loose. Huh. We've got kids that are having breasts sliced off. Yeah. Why? Because doctors can get money from it. So let's just go back to the way it was prior to 2013 with that diagnosis. Let's remove that diagnosis. Why won't they say that? They should. They should have the integrity to say, you know what, we were wrong to introduce that. Everything was fine prior to that, but they won't because I think they are part of an agenda in one way or another, or they're scared. Well, you know what? Do the right thing. So Dr. Blanchard, Dr. Zucker, do the right thing. Come on Benjamin Boyce's program and make the announcement that you are sorry. Professionally, you made a blunder and you retract everything and then watch what happens. Say, say, Anything to do with gender is no longer billable. Well, I, is that possible? I mean, I, you see movements in specifically European countries where they're backing away from this and they're making it more difficult, specifically within, uh, I guess, more socialized medicine um, countries. Canada's not going anywhere. They're going full bore. America, you know, it's just you know, catch as catch can. Um, state by state, there's different laws, right? But you think that the DSM is a cornerstone. If you cut off the money flow, if you cut off the profit motive, that will decrease the availability of this, which me. is which is better than going through policy. Oh, yeah, lawsuits. You watch how quickly now. Look at what's happening to um, the different uh, different health providers now that the threat of lawsuits. It, it all comes down to money. Jennifer Billick's right. You turn the spigot off or you threaten the money, suddenly health systems are backing away. Kaiser Permanente, Chloe is suing Kaiser Permanente in California, and she's going to win, I think. Um, would I, let, let's say Blanchard and Zucker were to step forward and say, you know what, we just, we're sorry. And we're just going to remove that. We're just going to go back to the diagnosis historically that was there in 2014. Do I think that would help? I would have respect for them. But would that help? You know, governments and manipulators, now that the Pandora's box has been opened, I think what they'll say is, well, you guys don't, you know, you're, you're antiquated anyways. Now, we appreciate you, but and they'd be sidelined anyways. But at least I would have respect for the not that it matters that I have respect for them, but I, I would appreciate it. But you cut the money off. Yeah. Do you think surgeons are going to do this for free? That also means there's no more scripts being written. There's no reimbursement. 
if you remove any reimbursement for any services, whether um, therapy services, so there goes these gender uh, therapy. There's no such thing as gender therapist. <laughs> I love how that was just invented. There's not. There's just not. Right? <laughs> They're just like and all then, of a sudden there's a gender therapist. Gender like what? Want to debate me about that, right? <laughs> and it's interesting that gender therapists are now closely aligned with sex therapists, kink oh. therapists. Oh, very dangerous. Mm, I don't know. Right? Because again, how do you manipulate these kids? You cross their sexual boundaries. You yeah. confuse a kid's sex and sexuality. You have them for life. Every cult knows that. Yeah. Okay. So you remove any ability to receive any monies or reimbursement, and you tell me what happens to the trans movement. Well, to kind of skip back a little bit, what Except is this the society? perpetrators? The sexual predators yeah. would be just fine because they don't have the profit motive. What does society do with sociopaths? I guess from your model, if it is a slippery slope of selfishness, we can engender a social contract or social pressures that decrease the amount of sociopathy. But it seems like every society is going to have that. And they probably actually, if they're put in the right environment, they could benefit society, you know, like a CEO, like to his shareholders. Uh, do we imprison them? <laughs> right. But I, what, what do we do with them other than becoming aware of them? Historically, and I would kind of hearken to the Judeo-Christian value system. And now I've lost half of your audience, but I'll tell you why. The, the presumption within that, that worldview is that man is, man is, of the highest value, so human life is valued, it's sacred, but the human heart is selfish, mm. innately selfish. Even when you provide the perfect upbringing, you're still going to have to teach the child boundaries, <laughs> respecting other people's boundaries. Little Johnny will always say no to authority, to his mom, mom and dad, right? You never have to teach a child to disobey. <laughs> okay. So the worldview of the Judeo-Christian perspective is that human life is of utmost value, but deep within the human heart is this little clenched fist saying, I will. Yeah. The founders understood that. So it was this balance of, and that's why the U.S. is so unique. It's not that geographically we are unique. It's not that we are brighter people because we are a composite in the U.S. of every race and ethnicity, is that people are free to benefit from the fruits of their labor. So there's private property. Why? Because people are sacred. I do not have the right to to your to you without your permission because you're separate and distinct. Therefore, boundaries. So boundaries protect that which is important. You are important. Why? Because God says you are. If I remove God, then it's depending upon whose perspective. So the extent to which a society rids itself or eradicates the idea of God is the extent to which now you're going to have the objectification of, of life, quite frankly, hmm. the utilization of life. Now you're going to have utilization review boards, hmm. right? So either people are value and therefore the only reason we have private properties because the presumption is people are important and you have the right to what is yours 
But if you are not sacred, then you have no right to what is yours because it's really not yours. Then it's survival the fastest and fittest. So from the, the founders' perspective, let's say in the U.S., they understood that balance that laws are there to protect human liberty because the encroachment process, but laws that were rooted in a value system, mm -hmm. the value of life. Mm -hmm. If you remove the value of life, now you have the power of government that's unchecked. So what I would say is this. There always has to be laws and rules to protect the vulnerable. And is there much hope for a culture that has removed the idea of any sort of eternal accountability? I don't know, but still the answer is to keep selfishness in check, there has to be natural consequences. So increasing uh, penalties for perpetrating, number one, instead of viewing instead of going soft on crime yeah. okay. but the other is having a view of human nature that really does understand that men will prey upon women and children and we need to protect them at the vulnerable at their most basic um foundational part of themselves, which is their sex and sexuality. So we need to understand the importance, the sacredness, as it were, of sex and sexuality and maintain those boundaries. Once that gets blurred and that becomes common, that and that becomes, um, once it becomes able to be viewed as n no big deal, it's a predator's dream then, because the predator knows it is something it is a big deal because yeah. if you have a society for instance where people can hop in and out of bed at ease you have a very callous society you have a, a society that's a mile wide an inch deep and they're certainly not going to care about the potential product or outcome meaning kids well yeah i mean that's that's already been taken care of i mean i i don't know if i'm I, i'm constitutionally anti-abortion but you know, case by case, and it's a really nuanced thing, but on a social level, on a social level, when we disregard the sacredness of life at that level, everything else eventually follows. Eventually, if you don't respect the sacredness of the baby, eventually you don't respect the sacredness of the woman and the female. And then you don't respect the sacredness and the role of the male of protecting that, that's right. And then you have a bell-shaped curve. And you, when you look at totalitarian societies, they have to remove the idea of God. Why? Because they are transgressing the value of the, they're decreasing the value of the person. They're transgressing human rights. They're, they are usurping private property. So in order for me to take what you have and call it okay, I have to make it a non, it now has to shift to amoral. I have to get the morals out of it. Yeah. Well, how do you do that? I eradicate the idea of superimposed values, so I get the idea of God out of there. Once that happens, now human the the value of the human being eventually comes down to what you can do for me. So instead of a sanctity of life, it is a utilitarian view of life. How much can they contribute? And what you will see in those cultures, inevitably a devaluing on both ends of the continuum of the bell-shaped curve of productivity. 
the preborn, the unborn, the de- the infirmed, the deformed, and then you have maids come along in right? Canada, and that's it, and the elderly. <laughs> yeah. So you always inevitably see where uh, Francis Schaeffer. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s, uh, did a wonderful work. He saw this coming. He was pro-life, but the reason why he saw what happens in a culture that if you, and again, not to lose all your listeners, you know, rape and incest, I under, these are very difficult issues. But generally speaking, as a matter of fact, the Alan Guttmacher Institute, research arm of Planned Parenthood itself, and Margaret Sanger was an avowed eugenist, okay? The Alan Guttmacher's findings show that the vast majority, into the 90% of abortions are for personal preference, as it were, yeah. for Consent. convenience. Yeah. Okay, so regardless of our perspective, we have to say this, that there's been a shift in this culture to view even, even the term. When a girl want, when a woman wants to become pregnant, she'll and she does. She'll say, "I'm having a baby." I've never once heard a woman say, "I'm pregnant. I'm having a fetus." So we are able to dehumanize. You know, as cults and manipulators, they 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 toy at language. That's why even in the trans deception, it's not double mastectomies and castration. We call it top surgery and bottom surgery, yeah. right? Um, so if you dehumanize the front end of the continuum. The sanctity of life. Now we we make it scientific sounding. So they're not useful. Why? Because what what's in it for me? What can they do for me? It's a yeah. drain upon me. Yeah. Then you're always going to see. And Francis Francis Schaeffer nailed it. He said, "You devalue life, the, the sanctity of life. You're also going to see euthanasia increase at the same time." Yeah, but but the, it's, there's good reason because I mean they're not productive. They're not you know they're you're not they're not they're not the impl- they're not in play, pleasure anymore. That there's no pleasure in life, right? That's so it's better the for them. That's it, and that's why the Netherlands and what goes along right in there is then assist a physician assisted suicide. Then the question is how many how many physicians do you need? And eventually that you get into euthanasia where you don't need anybody except for one. But you saw that one girl that had wrestled with an eating disorder that eventually she um, she. The doctors assisted that, and I'm convinced she was a sexual abuse victim. Talk about silence of the lambs. Hmm. So what now has been introduced in Canada? Uh, Euthanasia for teens and the infirmed, uh, meaning a teen who is depressed. Well, if you've been sexually abused, what are you going to evidence? All sorts of psychiatric issues. And suicide reality. Happy. Right to have a victim take it to the grave. Oh God! It's the silence of the lambs. That's just so, why I'm so concerned. Good goodness! Look at where we've come to. No, but the, I tell you what, uh, Leela Thomas. Just in closing, um, you want to find out the truth about what the guys. A quick way to do it: tell them they can't go into the locker room and shower room without their cell phone cameras. I'm sorry, without their cell phone. But everybody's cell phone has what? It has one of these, right? That thing. So it's a cell phone camera. You tell a guy this. You can't go in there without with that. He'll protest just as loudly. These guys are going in with their cell phone cameras. They used to have to climb trees to do what they can do now. Yeah. That's why they're doing it. 
guys do not go onto women's team to preen that they got to win medals. Why? Because it's easy. To be accepted. Okay. What they're doing is this. They have a malevolence toward women. What has created that? And they want to see women squirm. Why? Because of porn. They are porn-saturated guys by night. Huh. It's all about humiliating women. Why? Because you watch a guy that gets into more and more deviant porn. What is it? It's the humiliation. It's the debasing of women. These guys are porn-saturated, and they found the perfect way to silence a woman, to relegate her to having to like it. Sit there, shut up, sit down, turf. Now they have complete access into what? Just like in the Wee Spa incident. They can walk right in, and now they can strut around. And here's another thing for people to consider. And the maleness, femaleness of it. When you think in terms of, we've all seen these different selfies and TikTok or whatever, where a guy goes in and they take a picture of themselves in the opposite sex restroom or change room. If you go online right now and you do something like this, um, woman in a man's restroom, so woman that's transitioned, female to male, how many photographs will we see of the woman that looks like a guy now taking a picture versus men dressed in drag in a women's room taking a picture? What's the percentage? Because male, males are uh, visually oriented. And but, ready? What? Women aren't interested in taking pictures of themselves in the men's room. Why? Okay. Because they want to blend in. Yeah. And it's no big deal. It's a personal thing. For a guy, woman needs to understand this. When you see a guy taking a picture of himself in a change room or in a restroom, he is conquering. He's gotten over on them. He's crossed all the boundaries and he made it in. Yeah. He's mocking. He's mocking all the female. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Can't keep me out. Wherever you are, I can always be there. That's why Lila Thomas is on the swim team and he knows it and nobody's called him on called him out that he's a porn fueled dude and he wants access to the shower rooms to check all the women out and probably taking pictures of them nobody's ever said that why because that would be too much uh, the emperor has no clothes and a stubby um can I ask you a non-related question? Maybe maybe we can wrap it up because I've taken a lot of your time. Thank you so much for joining me. You're a fascinating guest. I hope we, we can have another talk. Um, if, if men are visually oriented, right, by nature, are you there? Did I freeze? There we are. There, there we, we are. are. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, the question is, men are visually oriented by nature. Um. Women have a preponderance of selfie taking. Like, why do women take so many selfies and, and um, post them? Yeah, off the top of my head, uh, because they're social creatures. Um, I also think there there's a need, and this is normal. Yeah, or I view it as normal because I don't have a problem with gender differences. Okay, it's innate within women to want to to look good look their best. We guys don't care. It's just, right, we're just, we have to remember to comb our hair, you know, look at men and women, once they get married, they settle down, right? Yeah. Um, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You tend to not see a lot of women take pictures when they're disheveled. <laughs> yeah. Guys do, 
we're kind of idiots. We just, we just, you know, the dumb and dumber and stupid act, you know, antic. Oh, look at me, mom. You know, oh my gosh. Like, uh, women will tend to only take selfies when they're looking cute or they want to. So I think it's unique, uh, you know, specific to female. There's nothing wrong with that. We may have lost all the feminists on, you know, there's just nothing wrong with it. Typically, who's who plays dress up when they're kids? The girls. Now, I have I have a daughter and two boys. My daughter used to dress my oh gosh, right. Fortunately, I'm settled enough as a dad. I, <laughs> the funniest vision I have is my my. He was probably age three at the time. He's running around the backyard. He's got cowboy boots on. He's got his cap guns. He's shooting. He's got a, but he's dressed in a tutu. My daughter dressed him in her tutu. Well, he's just having a great darn time. Did I worry about his gender related issue? No, that's why the best thing to just stop focusing on gender. Yeah, yeah. But girls will be the, it will tend to be the ones like when they get together, it's not, hey, you want to play cars or match, you know, you know build models or do action figures. No, as a matter of fact, if they have action figures, there's another thing. They've done studies all world around, even little boys. Um, when girl, girls are more verbal by nature, they have a greater capacity. When girls get together, they'll talk. Boys grunt and make sounds. They make truck sounds, <laughs> right? Um, you take action figures and give them to the boys and girls and tell you what you got. With action figures, you got fights and bonking and all sorts of dismemberment and you know things like that. You you've got conquering things. Girls, you'll take the same action figures and we got tea party. We got community. We got yeah. building a house together. By nature, yeah. women are more relational, and I'm really thankful for that. You yeah. look at a typical guy's room or a typical guy's door. It doesn't mean if a guy's into. Uh, dress and things like that. There, there anything wrong with them? But all bell-shaped curve, all things being equal, you look at a uh, guys can build a house, women make a home. Okay. Um, by nature, we understand this. NFL. I used to watch a lot of football, not so much anymore. But all that to say, I don't have a lot of time. But whenever you, and it still holds true. Let's say there's been a good play and other other sports as well. But let's say somebody does a touchdown or a big tackle or whatnot. They come back from the commercial. They do a close up of the guy. So we have a six, seven, six foot seven, you know, 300 pound hulking guy. Top of his athletic prowess. And he sees the camera. And very often, almost inevitably, he sees. And if he's a halfway, he's not an egomaniac, he sees, he'll wave. And inevitably, what's he going to say as he's waving? He'll say, hi. Mom, yeah. Hi, mom. It's not, hi, dad. Why? There's something, all things being equal, although I speak a lot about narcissistic mothers, <laughs> but all things being equal, there's something about a mother's love. And that's a good thing. Yeah, talk about <laughs> going back to the man's need for significance in, in his mother's eyes and in his wife's eyes and in his children's eyes. Is... Right? Well, you, you know, a guy, the quickest way to bum a guy out is make him feel that he's not enough. The quickest way to bum a woman out is to make her feel that she doesn't have what it takes to satisfy. That's not it. That she's not enough in his eyes it's relational you affect the relation the nature of the relationship and a woman typically if she's halfway healthy and normal she'll be unsettled we guys part of the counseling process is for me to get across to clueless guys like hello 
scale of one to 10, as a matter of fact, ask this. In marriage counseling, one simple technique you can ask to help open a guy's eyes, because typically it's going to be the appointment has been set by the woman. She's called. She's dissatisfied with the relationship. He comes into therapy like this, or he sits down, and you ask, um, you know, I want each of you to take a piece of paper and rate your marriage. Scale one to 10, 10 being great, one being not that hot. Give your current relationship, give your marriage a number, and then they write it down. And then I sort of looked at the guy. Now, write down the number that your spouse probably gave. And when I have them read it, who do you think is rated how? I'm trying to do the men typically overestimate or underestimate the... They overestimate. I'll say, well, I think we're at about... Because they know they're at a counselor's office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're at a seven. <laughs> Maybe a say they won't go... I think we're at a one. Uh, you know, it, it's bad at that point. I've just never had it. It's like, well... Uh, there's room for improvement. So I put it at a seven. She probably put it at a six. So he's rating himself higher. Hmm. I always have him go first. And I'll say, um, you know, ma'am, you know, wife. um, She puts it at about a one or two. No higher than a three, typically. Right? When it's at a four, isn't it? Okay. Certainly not a five. It's going to be the bottom digits. So what did you put your marriage on? He's just said, she's going to say a seven. She said a one or two. I mean, she's close to divorce. (laughs) What do you think she, she typically will guess what he put. What number do you think he gave? A seven. So she's correct. He's clueless. Why? Because we're dense. The male species is typically dense when it comes to relationships. So we have to be clued into hmm. the women buy all the books and men don't read them. But who really needs to read them? Typically us guys, because huh. we have to learn all oh, of the art of communication. I can't just notice my wife. I don't communicate all day. And um, then I see her. She's ready for bed. Oh, now I'm ready to communicate. No. So guys have to be taught about how to be good husbands and good partners and that oh sex begins in the kitchen doesn't mean starting to have sex in the kitchen it just means oh you mean the quality of the relationship oh i never thought about that <laughs> yeah so we we guys need to understand and value but intuitively think about a first date and both will they they play out meaning naturally they understand women are dressed up have makeup on wine because they know the guy's visually oriented yeah guys are intentive he may not be dressed to the nines but I'll tell you what, he's being very thoughtful. He's opening her door. He's pulling her chair out. He's asking her, what would you like to <laughs> That's What would you like to have? He's, he's, he's very kind. He's very nice. He's very thoughtful. Oftentimes, you know, 10 years later in the therapy office, she'll say, where did the guy go that I used to date? Where did he go? And that's one thing I can suggest to couples, by the way, if you want to help your marriage, just pretend you're that person again. Be, begin to treat that your, your partner, your spouse the way you used to on your first date. It's a little suggestion, by the way. Yeah. For for us guys. Well, I think we should end here before we go back into the psycho land. Um, So we'll end on a positive note, uh, an encouraging note. John Uller, you're you're a brilliant man. It's Uller, Uller, but that's fine. You, you. Yeah, long you. 
Bueller. Like, That's like fine. a German. Okay, sorry. Um, I, I will link all your links in the place where the links go, which is in the description, but you want to plug them uh, directly into the audience's ears at this point? I'm sure that's fine. I have a website that was originally and primarily still is geared for survivors, but a lot of people, I deal with a lot of family dynamics under the Insights tab, but the primary site is called Survivor Support. Dot net that's all scrunched together, no space or, or underscore. Mm-hmm. So survivorsupport.net. My training site dealing with the darker issues. Um, and that's my primary concern, by the way. You know, it's not the trans stuff. My primary concern are the predators in church. Huh. Um, so it's church protect, yeah. scrunched together, churchprotect.org. So there's a lot of my own unpublished research material on there as well. So if you want to learn from my perspective, what the myths are about predators and what the truths are, I have that on there. So the two sites are survivorsupport.net, churchprotect.org, and I have a blog, survivorsupport.us. And then if you want to listen to counseling stuff, dealing with pigs and how to have boundaries. I have a program on TECN.TV. That's a live uh, experience. So TECN.TV from Friday on Friday nights, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in the U.S. Yeah, and that's fun. As a matter, as a matter of fact, there are uh, on SurvivorSupport.net under the podcast tab, you can see previous uh, portions of that podcast that's fun because uh, i can deal with just straight counseling topics yeah, yeah did you say pigs oh yeah pigs jesus said don't cast your pearls before swine so our goal is okay um what in in galatians paul talks about every man carrying his own load so the idea and i do a talk but in each of my podcasts one way or the other we talk about knapsacks and boulders discerning the difference between what is my stuff mm and what isn't, and what the world can hand us. But pigs are those that will be driven to take their knapsack and give it to us. So for the audience, here's a little counseling trivia. The goal of life is this, one knapsack, no more and no less. Hmm. If you have more, that means somebody has offloaded their knapsack onto you. That means you have an emotional freeloader or a user or or a manipulator. Or a two-year-old. Right now you have an unbalanced relationship where this person has dumped, you become the dump or he's the dumpy, you're the dump or now it's unbalanced. So you have two knapsacks, he doesn't have any. And that's the beginning of it because this person is violating their conscience, this person oh. denying their intuition. Oh, yeah. It will start to get worse. So over time, and if this person doesn't dial it back with his own conscience, he will start to allow things to get worse and worse. And the worse it gets... Smarter if he's smart, he'll look more and more normal. And now we have gaslighting, and now we have a purposeful, intentional method of the one up person, the selfish person, the pig, keeping this person in the one down or oppressed position. So, the goal of counseling when people, as a matter of fact, I work with both populations, these are two different populations. Yeah, my counseling when I deal with regular kind of clients that call and want to talk to me. I know they have too many knapsacks with the guys that I work with in sex offender treatment. They're up here and they don't have any knapsacks. So I work with people's intuition and regular counseling. I work with their conscience 
in when they are just yeah. disinvolved. Okay. Um, and it, is there paths forward for people who have lost their consciousness? You go far enough and no, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. So there's a point of no return. So hence the psychopath. Because the one thing, and it's really a judgment, the one thing you lose is the desire to ever go back, to ever be anything other than what you are, and you want to double down on it. So to a genuine psychopath, being good or repenting or whatever term we want to use, going back, to them it's stupid. It's like, why would I want to do that? And then to a really profound psychopath, they have disdain. As a matter of fact, a pejorative term that some of the guys would use towards me, and it was all in sort of good fun with psychopath in prison, you'd hear this, you know what, you're nothing but a Boy Scout. Yeah. To them, that is a disdainful thing. I said, I know. Can you imagine being trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent? Can you imagine having a celly like that since you guys come in and complain about your cellies all the time? Can you imagine having one that was like that, that would just be really pleasant in the morning, not steal your stuff? Can you imagine how horrible that would be? But that's pejorative. And so that's why, and I use this analogy, a psychopath is driven to pee in the drift of pure snow to have a mark to defile Mm -hmm. it's graph uh, it's graphic it's crass but there's something within them that they can't leave well enough alone and even more than that they feel satisfied when they've gotten over on and caused pain and that's why we have to have boundaries so we can't allow men in women and children's private spaces. Yeah, and and maybe disband the be- the Fed too. Um, seems like our government is a psychopath, but right, they're financial psychopaths. They're financial psychopaths. They're what they're doing to the middle class and all those knapsacks, that's inflation, right. all that stuff. Right. Oh, that's oppressive, right? The oppressor and the oppressed, yeah. literally. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's end the recording there, John. Thank you so much for your morning. It's been a blast hanging out. Well, thank you, Benjamin. It's been great. I launched into it. I, you know, my apologies. Sometimes I just. No, I like that. I like that. I knew you're going to do that. So uh, listen, let me end the recording really quick.